0: But you you have an interest in doing
1: it. Peg, do you want your thing back? We can talk about it after. Otherwise, I'm going to sell it in front of City Hall.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The buyer's market. (laughs) There's a
1: big market.
2: Mr. Chairman, at this time, you do have a quorum. So, item one call to order. Larry, uh, roll call. Larry Bush? Here. Robert Carlson? Mr. Carlson is sick. Kristen Chu? Here. Kevin Hughes? Here. Brian Larkin? Here. Brenda McNulty? Here. Alex Tonneson? Jennifer Warburg? You do have a quorum. uh, Agenda Item 2. Opportunity for the public to comment on any matters within the committee's jurisdiction that are not on the agenda.
3: A sunshine
0: request requesting final copies of oh.
3: the reports You have been given a copy of the information I sent the Sunshine Task Force. Audit findings and the materials I handed out. Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Audit Report. I was not given a copy of Appendix A of the audit report. Which would show how much of the thirteen point eight million of preliminary audit findings became final audit findings. Also in the report coming opined that $30.6 million of design costs that were sixteen point one percent of total project cost were eleven to fifteen million dollars higher than the expected design costs of eight to ten percent of total project cost. The architect was paid nineteen point five million dollars and the remaining 11.1 million were DPW charges. Cumming did not audit 25% of the bond expenditures. The 102.4 million expenditure for the emergency firefighter water system was not audited. The scope of the audit work was reduced by DPW. The auditee which is unheard of. Why was this allowed to happen and will these expenditures ever be audited? The $70 million of preliminary audit findings for the 2011 road repaving and street safety bond expenditure performance audit are in the handout you received. I can't tell you how much of the $70 million became final audit report findings. The 2014-15 civil grand jury report found that city departments do not issue final reports on construction projects. The civil grand jury report recommended that each city department issue final construction project reports and post the reports on the department's website. The controller, the director of DPW, and the mayor issued a consolidated report response that the recommendation will not be implemented because it's not warranted. I bring this up because C. Gobach is taking a passive role in determining the information that is presented by the controller and dpw in the project review segments of your report i also handed out a few recommendations on oversight of bond expenditures and i would hope that would use that outline in determining what should be in the department presentations and also what should be in the audits and the also showed you a copy of an excellent DPW report that shows you the information you need is available.
0: Any further public comment?
1: Item 3. Can, are, are Commissioners allowed to make a comment? I know, but we don't. No, I, just, I just want to thank Mr. Dratler for uh, bringing these issues forward as I look through them. I see a number of the issues are likely to be addressed in the work plan or at least closely related to those, and so I look forward to uh, further discussion. Well,
0: we, we have the work plan item
1: coming up. I know. Yeah. I'm just making a connection, okay. connecting a dot. Item 3, okay. approval with possible
2: modification <laughs> of the Minutes of the March 23, 2017 meeting. Okay.
0: Well, remind me, we move to approve, second, and then public comment? Okay. Um, do we have a motion to approve the Minutes?
4: Motion to approve. Uh,
5: could I make a comment? Um On page 4, under item number 6, in the second paragraph, line 2, I believe one of those numbers, instead of reading 1017, should read 2017. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I have no other comments. Oh,
6: <laughs>
0: yes, it should. I'm old, but not that old. All
4: right. Mr. Chair, yeah. I'll withdraw, uh, withdraw the earlier motion and move to accept the minutes as amended.
0: And I'll second that. All right. Public comment. Hearing none. All in favor of the amend the minutes as amended? Aye. Aye. Uh, Aye. I think we are unanimous. Item four:
2: Opportunity for the com- oh, wait, pardon me. This should be a review and presentation of the fiscal year 2017-18 work plan with possible action by the committee in response to such presentation good
7: morning, good morning committee members Ben Rosenfield from the controller's office um, this is the first of two discussions you have on your work plan for the next fiscal year which starts on July 1st um, so I uh, It was suggested by the chair and and a couple of the other committee members that it would be helpful to frame the conversation with a little bit of a uh, presentation from us regarding what some of your foundational laws look like, what their requirements are of you, and a bit of discussion about how the committee in the past has has, uh, determined that they're meeting those requirements and approaches you've taken to speak to them, and then we've gone through a process to solicit feedback from you regarding other things you could think about as you set your work plan looking ahead into the new year. So I was going to run through a brief presentation as partially as reminders of different code requirements for the committee and then partially just as a a framing for discussion and feedback from you today. Um, If it's helpful to the committee, we would welcome taking feedback from the committee today and then bringing something back to you at your next committee meeting uh, for further discussion and action as you head into the new year. So no final decisions on anything required today, at least as we, we were envisioning it, but rather just discussion, teeing up that next conversation. Um, to start with, the, the governing laws and, the, and that speak to the committee's purpose. As you know, the, the purpose, the GOBAC has really been established under two different voter initiatives and really given you two different charges. You sit as the, the General Obligation Bond Oversight Committee, um, where in the administrative code which was adopted by the voters and you can see the language here, um, you're really to actively review and ensure that geobond uh, proceeds are spent in accordance with the will of the voters, specifically by ensuring that bond revenues are expended only in uh, accordance with the ballot measure and secondly that no funds are spent for administrative purposes not authorized in the bond. So very specific language Uh, in the voter initiative that speaks to your purpose. Um, Secondly, and subsequent to that, the committee member picked up uh, an additional responsibility uh, to provide, uh, to sit as the citizen audit review board and in that role to provide advisory input to the controller on matters pertaining to the controller's office city services audit or charter amendment which was carried at the same time. So you've got these two roles and with that I can kind of talk through some of the specifics of what the code say as to how you're to meet these purposes. Um, so I'll run through the bond oversight role first and, and I'll do it in this kind of same rhythm if it works for the committee. Um, there are a number of different requirements and, and activities that are outlined in the voter initiative that, that assign this responsibility to you and so for each one I'll, t- I'll pause briefly and speak to how the committee has, has um, spoken to that requirement in their work planning in the past. And again, these are, uh, what we have done in the past doesn't need to be a, a determinant of what we're doing in the future. Rather, this is just a starting point for, for discussion. Um, but first, uh, the first requirement in the, the bond oversight re- uh, portion of the code, you're to inquire in disbursements and expenditures by receiving any reports, financial statements, correspondence, and other docu- documents and materials associated with those bonds. So this. Kind of a general requirement for inquiry and receipt of documents that you need to properly inquire. Um, the committee's practice in the past, and this continues to this day, is to uh, direct departments to submit quarterly reports to you regarding their activities. Um, and you receive those each quarter. Those are publicly available on the website. Um, and those detail expenditures, schedules, and scope of each bond program. Um, Additionally, uh, the committee has designated liaisons that become more specialist in an individual bond, um, and this has really been in response to the the number of bonds under the committee's oversight has really grown dramatically since you were formed. So at the time the committee was formed, you had a couple of bonds. Today, you have (laughs) approaching a dozen bonds that have been authorized by the voters. So as the the scope of what you're responsible to oversee has grown. The committee has responded to that by kind of designating liaisons that are responsible then for um, more detailed review with bond programs of individual documents. And in that role, um, liaisons often and are expected to ask additional questions that require additional information and additional reporting from departments above and beyond what you get in the, 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 the higher level quarterlies.
8: Can I ask a
9: quick question? Of course. Um, are these the committee practices? Um, can you also address which ones you think are the best practices? Um, certainly, the B wasn't being done when I was on the board about eight years ago, um, and it definitely seems like a, a, you know, an important change that happened.
7: Yeah, if, and this is my perspective, of course, and the committee should make uh, your own determination. I do think the liaison approach is generally working well to get a little bit deeper under the hood in particular as we have more and more bonds. I, I do think the committee members can specialize and get more into the weeds of an individual bond program than you can receiving uh, 150 pages of reading every quarter and try, expecting all committee members to digest all of that and ask follow-up questions, to chase things down, so I think that's working. Um, the alternative that we talked about at the time that this change happened would be that the committee could um, have in lieu of liaisons could have moved to more frequent meetings and establishing subcommittees of Gobach to meet this requirement. Um, uh, that was the other alternative that was talked. This was kind of arrived at as probably a better way for individuals to specialize and to, to gain more knowledge about details, and it also, as frankly, uh, an acknowledgement that. Um, you know you are volunteer committee members, and your ability to meet multiple times a month to to get through committees and to process all of this information as a committee probably wasn't realistic. So I do think this one's working.
9: Okay. What about the quarterly reports? I mean, I, I find you know we we found out last time that it was sort of old data that they were giving us um, because it felt like they write a lot of reports, it sounds like, to lots of different places. And so, yeah, I, I'm, do you do my do we feel like that that's the quarterly reports are valuable?
7: It's a good question and there's actually another requirement that speaks later where we actually suggest that one of the things the committee, and we can assist with this and help drive it for you if it's of interest, the committee's um, played around with what information is most helpful to you in those quarterly reports over time and we have piloted about in this past 18 months This revised reporting template that you see for a couple of the bonds, the ESER bond, I believe, and the street street improvement bonds, are using a different reporting template. Um, The committee members seem pleased with that approach. And if that that feels like it's getting to the reporting you like to see at the level of detail you'd like to see as a committee, we should probably establish a goal for the year ahead to kind of standardize all bonds on that reporting template. Mm -hmm. Because you do... At the moment, you have four or five different templates in what you get, and that probably doesn't make it easy for you or the public to establish a rhythm of where do I look in a given report for what information.
1: If I I can join uh, Commissioner Chu's comments, uh, I think that uh, uh, one option that you have in the work plan as a, uh, a proposal coming up is doing electronic reporting. Uh, that keeps information updated. And I know on the housing bond, which is where I'm a liaison, there is a regular uh, system of requiring that it be constantly updated with where the the grants are taking place, what's an underway. And so you can look at it any, at any given time and see in point of time where things are. And I think that's not a bad model uh, to adopt. For other bond programs so that you can see rather than just on a quarterly basis and the public can see uh, what projects are undertaken, especially since we know there are times in which uh, decisions are made uh, to alter what may have been originally intended to be paid for with the bond with uh, a shift uh, and this would help people know that in a contemporaneous time frame. So that will be coming up later, but I just think it's relevant to your point here.
7: I should add here, this is a good moment actually to pause briefly on, on liaisons. Um, we The historic practice with liaisons has been that we enc- we've encouraged, and liaisons as a matter of convenience have typically met with both liaisons meeting together with the bond program management staff to receive updates, <coughs> ask questions together, and then report back together at the committee. Um, in response to completely appropriate questions, the city attorney's office has clarified advice here and revised advice regarding what's appropriate under the Brown Act. And so uh, if in keeping the liaison approach going forward, committee members should meet individually, they should act individually meaning they should meet individually with the bond program managers and receive those updates individually. And then you should report back together at the committee as independent voices. Otherwise, uh, you become a policy, uh, you become a meeting um, effectively. Um, So to ensure that the liaison approach is working within the confines of the Brown Act, that should be the appropriate practice going forward. And Ken Rue from the City Attorney's Office can speak to that in more detail if it's of help.
1: I can't resist noting that we are now going to follow a practice that is at least 2,000 years old, and in the Old Testament it says, it will take two witnesses to establish the truth of all things.
9: (laughs) What do other groups do? This doesn't seem feasible. Uh, I mean, it it doesn't seem feasible, practical, Mm -hmm. it doesn't (laughs) seem um, uh, like we're going to get the best information, I mean like it, it, it goes against
10: all. I, I would say two things. Um, one is that the other committee I'm aware of that's similarly structured to this one meets much more frequently. So that's what they do. They meet every few weeks. Uh, and then the other the other thing I would say is that it is quite clear that transparency and efficiency are not. Equally valued by the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance, mm. and between those two values, transparency always wins. I'm
0: and gonna. I'll oh, go ahead.
9: And the Brown Act specifically says two people is a meeting.
10: No, what the. It's actually more the Sunshine Ordinance, but we we use them both interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But if, But sort of to give some background, our advice had been that any quorum of any kind of a policy body when they meet together is a meeting and needs to be publicly noticed. And two committee members are not a quorum of any officially put together policy body. Based on a very, very helpful question someone raised, we revisited the issue and we decided that the better answer is that when this committee instructs two people to go work as liaisons, that in itself creates a policy body. And so when they interact together, that's a meeting and needs to be noticed. As I say, I recognize that that makes things more inefficient, but it's quite clear that that is clearly the better reading under both the Brown Act and the Sunshine Ordinance.
0: But this is advice rather than direction.
10: Well, we, our office can't provide direction. We provide legal advice.
0: So then we can continue to do what we've been doing.
10: I would advise you not to, but um I think again, that's advice that's advice
0: mm-hmm.
7: and i'll I'll say that we' share that. We would urge the same caution here i mean um it's it would be a very rare occurrence where a publicly seated body doesn't accept advice from the city attorney's office regarding the brown act, so in the interest you kind of what part of what your charge here is is. To act transparently and in, in compliance with open government laws. Um, we'd encourage you to follow the advice. I do understand we're it's also
9: charged with being effective at what we're doing, so I
7: I completely understand.
9: And and no other body ever came into this. I mean, like, no had, had the same sorry. the same problem.
10: Oh yeah, I mean, this is not an <laughs> infrequent problem. But again, I think the solution is is to meet more frequently or to establish subcommittees. But uh, this is the only committee I'm aware of that had the liaison approach. There may be others. I can't speak to that. Um, and uh, it it is you know unfortunate. But it, the law is what it is.
9: Is there another uh, approach besides liaison? I, I mean, maybe we just schedule these meetings and whoever shows up shows up, I mean, I or d- something like that. I mean, like I I yeah. awesome.
10: it feels like in a yeah that would be one approach.
7: No. So we've talked about, um, if it's helpful, um, we've talked about different approaches over time and, and, and more recently given uh, this advice. Um, as we've talked about, you could maintain the two liaison approach that you have today with the two liaisons, though, independently meeting with program management staff. It's, a, it's a some, somewhat of an administrative inconvenience for department staff because rather than one briefing, they're going to be providing two. Um, um, and it probably doesn't allow committee members, the two liaisons, to share information with each other, which is, as we we're hearing, part of the intent of the Brown Act. Um, that's, so that's one approach. Another approach would be that the committee could adopt committees of of the whole. You could meet much more frequently as a full body, and you could receive r- reports much more frequently, um, or you could establish committees of three Members, for example, to hear updates more frequently on individual bonds um, and handle those as public meetings. Uh, That's another approach we've talked about. The last approach we've talked about um, is the committee could flip to having a single liaison approach to each bond. Um, That would, you don't run into a policy body challenge when it's individual, um, but as Mr. Bush's biblical reference noted it provides a different kind of oversight when it's not two individuals that a department is effectively being overseen by but a single individual it changes kind of the the level uh, and type of oversight and balance of that oversight frankly In terms of nope. the Brown act note for the
2: record excuse me sorry uh, commissioner warburg is here now different.
1: Mm-hmm. When, when two liaisons go to meet with a department about mm-hmm. a bond, is that a, a public meeting and public can also attend that meeting?
10: If they meet simultaneously, then yes. And we, would need to we have notice not been it. doing
1: up until now. Correct. correct. We've not been no. publicly noticide, notifying. That the is correct. Yeah. It's working pretty well.
10: So I would, I would also, just to be clear, I, I think from the committee members' perspective, <coughs> the only change is well, there are two changes. One is you would not be meeting at the same time as your fellow liaison, and you could not coordinate your comments or your, your review. But otherwise, the amount of time that you're actually devoting presumably would not materially change. Just to uh, be can clear could,
5: I, could you clarify what you just said? Um, is it inappropriate for um, two liaison members to communicate? Um, regarding the subject matter of that bond that they are liaisons to? Is that inappropriate?
10: It is inappropriate if it's not, if it's outside of a publicly noticed meeting,
5: yes.
0: You're under arrest.
9: I think think what Brenda's getting at, and I agree with, is it's it's not a logistical problem. It's not too much time. It really is that working together and having each other's unique perspectives actually improves are what we do. Not, it has nothing to do with, like, I don't want you know, to, you know, poor Peg has got to right. go to two meetings. I mean, it's not that I'm not supportive of Peg going to one meeting, but I think that, you know, we can we add to each other. I mean, we wouldn't be brought together from such, you know, diverse backgrounds sure. if we, we weren't going to um, make each other better at what we do.
4: Kevin. I have a couple of questions. So the language of the Brown Act hasn't changed recently. What has changed recently is the application of the language. Correct. And it is the opinion of the city attorney's office, as you have stated earlier, that um, liaisons of two or more should not meet simultaneously, but but should meet separately with staff members.
10: Unless you have a publicly noticed meeting.
4: Unless you have it noticed and and publicly held. Um, And that is because liaisons are assigned correct to staff and we have as currently the current application of liaisons under this committee is to designate certain committee people to certain bonds and certain departmental staff. There are designated liaisons Um, if they were undesignated they were uh, you know they were uh, self-selected, undesignated committee people that met uh, with departmental staff for review of certain bonds. Um, Would that trigger, in the opinion of the city attorney's office, a violation of the Brown Act? Is it the fact that they are designated?
10: That's correct. That's a very, that's a very good point. So what makes this a policy body, is that you guys were designated by this policy body. That designation makes the two of you your own policy body. Right. So, if, I'm sorry. so if we were to say the uh, affordable housing bond, the project manager is going to, we're going to do away with the liaison program altogether. The affordable housing bond uh, project manager is going to meet on this day, Anyone who's interested from the committee in showing up is welcome to sign up. Sign up in advance, and less than a quorum of the full body signs up, it's not a violation of the Brown Act. That's exactly right. Once we hit five members, however, oh, yeah. then it's a meeting. Yeah. But that's that's exactly right. Yeah. So what and you just outlined is exactly. And
4: right. that would be an option. Yes, uh, that's exactly has, right. And that that would be at the discretion of the committee in yeah. the event that we wanted to handle the liaison process that way that that we would move from designated to undesignated. And
7: probably the way, if you wanted to pursue that option, and Ken will correct me here if I misstate, probably practically the way that would work, um, our office would arrange for a quarterly briefing with each of the project management staff for each of the bonds. We would let committee members know the time and place of that briefing. Committee members would respond to us with an RSVP that they're interested, to the extent that a majority of the committee member was committee was interested in that briefing, then we would notice it as a public meeting and you would conduct it as a public meeting. Otherwise, you would you would kind of continue with the private briefings you're receiving today with whoever self-selected to attend that briefing.
1: That's not unlike the system that we have now for site visits, isn't that correct? Where we wanted to go look at uh, uh, a site and it was just thrown open to whatever committee members wanted to attend it. It wasn't designated only for the liaisons.
0: We have a process now where we meet, you know, we, we do, we have liaison process, two people are appointed as, as liaisons and meet with staff on a regular basis. In order to change that, we have to take some action. Is that not right?
7: I think it would be good to, cl- I don't know that you need to formally take action, um, it would be good to close this conversation out not today but maybe at the next work planning meeting because it is kind of foundational to how you're going to approach your work in the year ahead so if the committee has a discussion of it and provides direction to us and city attorney as to how you want to kind of work we can we can facilitate whatever that approach is
0: so we do have the option of just continuing to do business as we've been doing against advice of counsel here you do have you do have that
7: option and we'd urge you not to do that Okay, (laughs) it was just a question. (laughs) Um. So the... Peg's going to help try to unlock the PowerPoint, which is uh, locked up while we are last talking. So in the meantime, I'll talk off of uh, the hard copy, and there are copies of the same presentation for the public on the side table. Um, We were on, moving on to page four, slide four, Uh, and running through, so your second requirement is, or your second activity, outlined activity as it relates to bond oversight is to, quote, hold public hearings to review the disbursement and expenditure of bond proceeds approved by the voters. Um... So, what has past committee practice been in this regard? You've had held in recent years approximately six public meetings each year, with each bond repor- each bond program reporting to the committee twice over the course of the year. So, you've held two public hearings uh, regarding bond expenditures um, uh, annually. Um, the committee member has also prov- already provided direction for the coming fiscal year that you're interested, in, and we are planning to televise. Uh, those public hearings on SFGTV beginning in July as a way of increasing public access to those public hearings. Um, We as staff would suggest, as you think about work planning items for a year ahead, um, that we include in the work plan, we'd recommend that you include in the work plan a redesign of the website for GOBOK. It's been many years since we've done that. It's um, outdated. It's hard to navigate at this point. It's kind of layered over time, um, and it's probably Mm -hmm. time for... A refresh of the website to make it usable, publicly accessible, provide helpful information, and uh, we received uh, suggestions from a couple of committee members in prep for this that providing links off of the Gobach website to other pertinent websites in the in the city where you can drill in and find more information um, would also be a helpful feature. So we do think in this kind of activity of transparency and public view into the work of the city that a, a website redesign would be helpful. Um, lastly, and, and I've noted this as possible as opposed to suggested, but just to note that um, one, of the other geo- one of the other bond oversight committees that exists around the city, which is the City College Bond Oversight Committee, actually produces a public mailer that goes out once a year to inform the public of their work and findings. Um, you may have received such a mailer. I did recently. Um, I did too. And that could be something the committee could think about. Um, If if you do think that's of interest, we can do some homework for you on costs of that because it's probably not insignificant, but um, we could provide you with that information if it's of of some interest for discussion at the next meeting. Um, So I'll pause there on this item to see if there's any discussion or feedback.
1: I'd like to comment if I may on those. First of all, I think that uh, modernizing the website is uh, critically important because even I have a hard time finding Go back on there, um, but in terms of uh, uh, an annual public mailer, it reminds me of what uh, we did on the civil grand jury, which we have an annual report of all of the investigations, and it's published then in, in a, a, a newspaper. Generally, it's it's one of the papers that's been designated as an official site, and it co- that cost about ten or fifteen thousand uh, dollars for the civil grand jury to do, and it has like six major investigative reports. It's, a, it's fairly voluminous. But uh, it seems to me that uh, you might develop something that could be inserted into the voter handbook since voters will be choosing on bond issues a number of times, and instead of mailing it out to everybody, just printing something that would be an insert and uh, incorporated, and in, since all voters get the voter handbook, uh, you're pretty well covered, the population that you want to reach. So I throw that out as a thought.
7: Okay. Hey, If there's not other feedback here, I
11: guess fine. just don't use the mouse.
7: Don't use the mouse. Okay. Okay. Um, third outlined activity under bond oversight. Uh, you are to inspect facilities financed with bond proceeds, um, and. It's, In the recent past, you've done this, again, through your liaison approach, where uh, fundamentally liaisons are responsible as part of their quarterly meetings with department staff of going on tours to see that what you see in the real world being built is what you see represented on the bond reports you're receiving, and that progress in the field matches what you are hearing verbally from bond program managers. Uh, Fourth outlined activity is, again, and This one gets, it's somewhat uh, duplicative of requirement number one, but uh, receive and review copies of any capital improvement project proposals or plans related to the bond finance facilities. Again, these are included. This requirement's really been met by inclusion in the quarterly reports. Um, Again, the designated liaisons, of course, are free to ask and usually do ask for many other documents and many other reports beyond that quarterly reporting information. And then lastly, we are, as I indicated earlier, we're suggesting here that, if those templates that the committee developed a year ago are of interest and seem to be sp- hitting the right level of information, we should probably include in the work plan for the year ahead standardizing all bonds reporting to that format um, so that you have a standard way of having information come to you in the public.
9: So I, th- I think I definitely want to review that template and it doesn't look like anything, any of the bonds that you mentioned are actually in this, in this report here. Um, uh, I'd also like to understand how, how we got to that because I, I wasn't clearly on the on the bond committee, sure. um, and I think that one of the things um, that uh, Jerry was talking about, or in his document, was we get a lot of recommendations from the audit about challenge areas, um, and so I, I guess um, what I want to know is how we take those recommendations and we bring them back into. Um, whether they're relevant for monitoring of every bond. Like, if there's concerns in one area, it, are they going to persist and be concerns in, in all bond areas, or? It's,
7: it's a good one, and actually, we'll talk in a second out uh, how the requirements is to receiving audits and performing audits. So I can get to the second part of your question in a, in a quick minute. Um, the f- answer to your first question, which is how do we get to that standard template, the committee, um, I believe, a year and a half ago, assigned a, a member, Robert Carlson, who unfortunately is not, he- not able to make it here today, to work with Public Works and other staff to solicit feedback from committee members as to what the committee members at the time thought was helpful to have included, and then he worked with Public Works staff to develop that template in response to committee views at that time. Um, We should probably plan, if, if this feels like a good idea to standardize to a single template in the year ahead, we should plan after this to send out that template to you and maybe suggest that if there is other feedback regarding the template, that it go to Robert. Um, for some uh, finalization um, heading into the new year. Um, so, a nice segue. Thank you, uh, Committee Member Chu. The, you're also as a commission to to commit or as a committee to commission independent reviews of the disbursement and expenditures of bond proceeds. Um, You've done several different things in this space over time, and, and again, this what we've done in the past doesn't need to be what we do in the future. At your direction, but um, the committee, in recent years, has—and um, this is a fairly recent change—I believe three cycles ago—the committee asked that the controller's office um, to conduct an annual review of bond program schedule, mm-hmm. scope, and budget. And so, we've produced two of those reports to date. Um, it is a summary report that goes to you and the mayor and the board and is available to the public regarding our assessment of how each of the bond programs is doing on those core metrics. Um, and in recent years, GoBach has appended that to your annual report that goes to the Board of Supervisors as a status report. We're almost done with this year's update, so I think we will have something to present to you in July uh, regarding that report. But that's one um, review that you as a committee have requested for speaking to this outlined activity. Um, You have also requested more recently, and this is in the last two cycles, um, and actually uh, as a suggestion that came from Mr. Dratler when he was on the committee, you've requested the controller's office retain an independent auditor to conduct um, in this period of time three bond expenditure audits that speak specifically to the narrower requirements that you see in the voter initiative, that bond proceeds are being spent in accordance with the voter initiative, and that no funds are being spent on administrative salaries that are not um, authorized by the voters. So we've conducted three of those. Um, we'll touch in a second. We think we think those work well, and they actually speak to a mandate the controller's office has as well. So these audits are f- filling, this is one of those areas where you have overlapping mandates. Um, so they speak to a requirement of ours. Um, if those feel like the right touch to committee members, we should, as part of the work planning process for the new year, figure out which bonds you want to touch and what frequency in the years ahead. And I'll, I'll briefly touch on, on our suggestions there. Um, you also receive all the audits we perform, um, including all of the capital capital audits we perform or cause to be performed. Um, we have been before you periodically to present some of those audits, but I think we're suggesting that we can probably be more organized in how we come forward and present them, and so our suggestion here at the bottom is that we, we very deliberately pair, when you have a given bond program coming forward, if we have recently touched it with an audit, that that would be a good opportunity not only to hear from the bond program, but for us to present the audit findings as well, and that would give you some, some of our, our thinking or an independent auditor is thinking about that given bond. So well, this would be the independent auditor. It 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 would be both us as independent US. from you, and then also um, auditors that we've contracted with on your behalf. Okay. And that's just a matter of adding it to our agenda for a regularly scheduled meeting. A matter. I think that's really just a matter of how we we manage the the rhythm of hearings. Okay. So I think that. Would
1: if I may make a comment on these, yeah. um, we there are. Uh, other bond oversight groups in addition to C. gobach what, what, three or four other bond oversight groups? The, you mentioned the the college, and I think the PUC and the MTA, they all have their own audit, uh, their own bond oversight. Correct. Picture, and uh, the school correct?
7: district is the last one that does as well.
1: So, uh, it would be good to have some picture as you're as you're talking about reviewing other bond program audits, if you would include in that a review of what other bond oversight groups are doing so we can learn from them, uh, particularly if if they're contracting for outside auditors, if they're looking at things differently than we do. um, And there's going to be, obviously, some uh, connection. So, for example, when I'm looking at the housing bond, it matters if I have an understanding of what's going on with the MTA bond, so whether or not people are going to be able to get to work from where the new housing is going in and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm looking at uh, how we can get a a holistic picture of some of this information. Uh, I'm particularly uh, interested in the aspects of uh, pre-bond planning because we go through a lot of problems with that, change orders uh, that we've seen as an issue in the past. Um, So as you prepare on this, if you could forward to us uh, an opportunity for us to comment on what we would like to see included in that, uh, that would be appreciated by me, anyway. I
0: don't understand pre-bond planning. What would we do? We we don't. Our purview doesn't start until the bond's been passed by the voters.
1: That that's true. But one of the things that I think we do look at is whether or not uh, there was adequate planning for how the bond was going to be spent. So you see, for example, recently the, uh, the transportation bond discovered that they were not spending the money very quickly because they had not done enough planning in advance uh, to spend the money, so they're reallocating it. Well, that would be good to know that that's an issue that, that arises in similar circumstances
0: you know, it's interesting you note that because Brenda and I have spoken to the staffers about the MTA bond. Oh, good. And we didn't find that it was, that it was for lack of planning that things have gone wrong.
1: Well, I'd be interested in hearing a report on what you did find.
0: And I think we did. As a matter of fact, I think it's in the minutes of the last meeting.
8: I was here. I in the minutes, we'll review them with you.
7: And, you know, actually, one of the things um, can't,
6: that,
9: be which
7: we should talk to uh-huh. yeah. next time when you're finalizing your work plan is we should give you a sense of what our, independent of you in the controller's office, kind of what our approach and touch is going to look like with capital in our work plan for the year ahead. And we actually have um, an audit suggestion for the year ahead that I think we're likely to include within our final that tries to get to the relationship between how much design work is done before going to the voters and how that influences schedule and budget on delivery. So I think there is an interesting kind of correlation there that we're interested in kind of exploring ourselves.
0: I think generally we want to make sure we don't broaden our scope to the point that we can't manage it anymore.
7: We have to recall we meet six times a year. It's a very fair point and a good one, Mr. Chair. That you know when we're when you're setting your work plan for the year ahead, it's probably important to be realistic about what you can accomplish. Um, yeah, by so, more than
0: what we can chew.
7: So today we're going through possibilities. Yeah. and should probably narrow it to what feel like priorities to you as a committee.
0: But, you know, I, I think that what Larry says about coordination among different audits, if, if there are other audits going on of a bond through a different agency, yeah, there should be coordination between and among them. Um, there's no point in a duplication of effort. But at the same time, and, and I, I further agree that, Audits are a good thing, independent audits, and I appreciate the, the good work that the staffers who report to us put in, but it's also we're hearing only the one side. I mean, an independent auditor provides an independent view. So yep. I, I'm sympathetic to what you're recommending on that as I read it. I'll flip. Oh, um, sorry. To, so
9: to go back to this list, just to make sure that we... <laughs> Question: The practices we've done before and whether they're they're helpful or not. Um, the, the number one about the um, the schedule, scope, and budget is, is that a valuable report? Does it take a long time to re- produce? Do people read it or anything? I might be a biased
7: audience. We find it helpful. Um, okay. I find it helpful personally. I know the it is one of the reports that um, is reviewed by the mayor's office and the board of supervisors, um, the capital planning committee, which does work regarding bond programming. receive we have an annual presentation of it at the capital planning committee. I think it is usable, but we would really, we would welcome feedback. On okay. No, I
9: just want to make sure that we're not just continuing to do things yeah. just because we've done them in the past. Um, and the three um, annual uh, audits, do we feel like that's the right number?
0: Good question. I think, we're, I think what good. you're saying is that we can do more.
9: We can afford more, right? Yeah,
0: that's, that's the point. Yeah, we can afford more.
9: But can we manage more? Right. If they they do them and they come, oh, I mean, oh, have six they, they, they do the work.
0: No, 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 no <laughs> but, they, but you still have to, you know. All maybe. we gotta do is listen. That's
9: true.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it would I, I see what you're saying, but I think that it's worth
7: doing just for us to get the independent perspective. And um was. we can. What we've outlined on the next slide here is what a three three bond a year rhythm would look like, but we can certainly explore what more would look like if you'd like us to, and kind of come back to you next time. I think probably the you certainly have the money to do it, to do more mm-hmm. and faster. The constraints are probably somewhat on department program staff ability to respond to multiple audits because Public Works is administering many of these. So that would be something we'd probably want to explore with Public Works. Um... Point. But we can certainly come back to you and explore what would four look like. What would five look like?
9: Yeah, I don't necessarily feel strongly about it. I just thought that we should. It's a good question. Say no. I don't, it's an arbitrary. It feels like an arbitrary number, and so I don't know. If and, and
1: when you do get an independent auditor, are you getting firms that are professional auditors like McKinsey and, and so forth, or are you getting people who uh, may not have their main body of work being auditing work?
7: Uh, this first round, we um, ended up selecting Cummings for the the first three audits. They are not a CPA firm, and I think um, that's a question. Okay. Um, but they are construction management auditors. So while they're not um, CPAs, um, they do, we believe, come with more specialization in specifics regarding construction project delivery and expense that a typical CPA firm would not have. So I think there's pros and cons about which auditors you, you select. Um, My
1: father was a CPA, so I go with
7: the CPA. I, I work with a lot of CPAs and yeah. have nothing but respect for them. Yeah.
0: Um, well, but you, when you do your audit, Ben, you're doing more the numbers type audit that a CPA would do. Is that not right? Our, our, the,
7: the, the work, we perform a lot of different work and there's actually an appendix this presentation that shows the, the volume of our recent controller's office delivered audits um, that touch cap- capital. So we're performing a lot of those in house. No, typically the ones we're self performing are not um, a financial audit per se, but rather a performance audit uh, uh-huh. the majority of ours. Cummings has been performing a transactional testing audit, which really gets into show me all of your expenses transactions and I'm going to review those against the bond authority. Um, and then of course the financial auditor for the city as a whole audits all of our financial statements. And so all expenses of the cities are of the city are going through that process, but it's higher level.
0: Yeah. Well, the Cummins one on construction-type projects is information I would rather see, you know, because I've been through CPA-type audits, and, you know, their understanding of the construction process is not as firm as it might be, whereas an organization like Cummins gives you the information that they should really be looking at. So we have divergent points of view on that.
1: And we can meld them. (laughs) We can meld those points. We might.
4: So I have a couple of questions. Um, The current practice is three independent. uh, The current practice is three annual bond audits by an independent auditor uh, and that the recommendation from you is that that practice remain unchanged. We
7: certainly would like to, we'd recommend continuing that practice going forward whether it's three or a different number I
4: think can be a discussion. Okay. And these independent uh, audits are in addition to uh, or in lieu of audits that would be performed by your office? In addition to. In addition to. So it runs parallel with audits that are being done by your office, correct? In other words, are these independent audits, audits essentially tests? They're different kinds of audits. We're, we
7: have a, a lot of activity that's hard big. A lot of activity touching different kinds of construction risk. Yeah. These ones are testing, um, it's a compliance check. They're testing actual transactions, meaning payments made against the voter authorization. It's a very detailed narrow audit scope that speaks to the narrow requirement that sits in the code. We have other audits, for example, Um, We recently completed one that speaks to how how well is the city doing with managing safety on construction projects and what are suggestions for improvement throughout the city and we have touched a lot of other different parts of different programs. But yeah, it's not redundant with the work we're doing but rather I think complementary to it.
4: Okay. And has there been any set of circumstances that has shown four or three was inadequate? has anything been missed because the practice on the and a practice can certainly change either going backwards we could have changed last year and you would have noticed us of you know maybe the committee might want to authorize it's not even fixed we could have we had discretion Absolutely. we had discretion last year we have discretion in fiscal seventeen eighteen the discretion to the current practices three we currently have discretion that remains unchanged. Absolutely. If, and, if and when uh, you believe the recommendation for four was appropriate, you would so advise, and then we would act. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Thank you very much.
1: When they when they do these audits, do they look at uh, how contracting is done? I'm. I was struck by reading of the. Uh, recent federal indictments on bid rigging in a bond program in San Francisco. Uh, and I, I wondered, is there any point in which the review takes place? That was not a Seagull bond, I'm happy to say. Um, but Is there any point along the way in which the examination might reveal something like bid rigging or low bidding in order to ultimately come up with change orders? all those kinds of uh, things in the
7: weeds? If we're, these specific, the three we're talking about here, the scope of those audits doesn't touch those issues. We've had other audits that we have touched over time that touch on some of those issues. But no, I mean, not the three that we're talking about here, again, just testing very narrowly, are these expenditures in accordance with the voter initiative, as opposed to testing other controls regarding how how the contracting process works or uh, the low bid and markup with change orders practice works. We've spoken to some of those things in other work we've done.
1: So would you anticipate looking at those things in the future in some other process?
7: We've had a recurring change order audit process that we perform we've done actually a couple of years ago we completed an audit in our shop where we recommended actually the city move away from a practice of strictly awarding construction contracts to low bidders but instead consider other factors including performance in that and part of performance is does a firm have a practice of low bidding and then marking up their change orders after award so we have touched on some of them in the past it's an open question about how we and you want to touch them in the future Um, it actually gets into the last activity as it relates to oversight in the code and this is the most open-ended one frankly and this is the one that provides the most ability for the committee member to pick things that feel of value to you in performing your work so
1: I just don't want us to be embarrassed by having oversight over a program that ended up with people being federally indicted on bid rigging
7: oh and I, I do want to say there are a whole host of controls in place of course regarding the city's construction process to try to prevent that those sorts of activities Um, any control system is never perfect Um, and so risks always remain but um, we are aware of it obviously of the of those risks if it helps this last activity um, and you can see the language here is more broad um, and it speaks to the uh, activity that the committee may undertake to review efforts by the city to maximize bond proceeds by implementing cost savings measures Uh, mechanisms to reduce costs including professional fees and prep and design fees and recommendations regarding joint use of core facilities and use of cost-effective and efficient efficient reusable uh, facility plans. So this is is the more expansive. All the the activities we've gotten to date are much more prescriptive. This is the one that opens up a broader possibility list for the committee. Um, The committee in the past has um, and not in the recent past, but a couple of years ago, for example, the committee uh, contracted for a review of how permitting processes work and affect construction projects. And in that same cycle, the committee uh, conducted a review of uh, how public partici- participation processes work and should work in the city. So those are examples of broader non-bond-specific activities that the committee has kind of wanted to bite into in the past. Um, We've, you should probably pick a topic or two that is of shared interest to the committee and work towards those goals in the year ahead. Um, some of the possibilities that we've heard from you are, are um, uh, offline include questions regarding how the city's contracting process works, as Mr. Bush just said, and I know the chair has raised questions regarding how the contracting process may delay projects, um, does the committee want to engage in assessing public satisfaction um, with improvements that have occurred? This is an idea that we've talked about in the past and the committee has talked about in the past. Um, once a bond is completed, is it, is it satisfying the consumers of the, of the, of the bond program? Um, um, the pre-bond planning process and benefits question that we talked about briefly earlier, and then this kind of reference to cross-bond opportunities is an interesting one to think about a little bit, I think. Um, and obviously the committee members have a lot of discussion about this. You hear about it from departments, but is there something in that space that might be of interest?
12: Sorry, Ben, what is a cross-bond opportunity?
7: Um, you know, one example. when we've heard on the Streetscape projects, for example, a lot about, in some cases, accepting delays on some of those programs to allow utility coordination to happen. Um, and there's a trade-off there between the schedule that was initially envisioned for the geo-bond, but by delaying, you permit the street to only be torn up once and while you're there, you're coordinating utility work and other things that need to happen from another agency. Um, that's, we've talked a little bit about undergrounding as a possibility in the committee in the past and coordination there. There's a, com- you know, just in the same space of the right of way, there's conversations in the city about broadband and, and fiber in the city. Should we, should, are there opportunities there to better coordinate? laying fiber when we're conducting some of these programs. So uh, I think there's been discussion in the past about joint use of facilities, um, uh, rec, center, rec centers and libraries, libraries and schools, those sorts of things that might be other opportunities. But I think it's a big, big space. Yeah. Probably lots of things to look at if we wanted
0: well, to. Well, as an aside, in our liaison meetings with um, MTA staff over the 2014 transportation bond, Part of the reason for the delay in the expenditure of their funds was that, in some cases, they had coordinated with DPW on the work that they were doing on some of their projects. So yeah, they spent their money a little later, but they wound up spending less of it. So it was a worthwhile delay. That's not excusing everything that that went wrong with them, but that was one explanation for one of the projects
1: having been delayed. I look at the cross-bond opportunities also looking at uh, a number of bonds that are uh, at work in the same geographic area. So I know that the port is talking about putting on a a port bond. Meanwhile you have bonds that are dealing with the the traffic mitigation uh, along the waterfront and then you have uh, park and rec bonds that are putting in new parks over there and to the extent that we can give the, the public a picture of how these things are coming together and that they understand that we see a larger view than just the more narrow thing about what's going on in one particular bond. Good point. I think uh, we all benefit from that. Yeah. Um, I, assessing public satisfaction is an issue that I've raised myself uh whether or not after a, a bond work was done, did the public feel that they got what they were anticipating? And that it's came up too. because of uh, what I know in my neighborhood in the Castro, that a lot of the businesses in the Castro felt like the results of this sidewalk widening and so forth was to end up causing a number of businesses to close. And now in the Castro, something like 17% of the businesses are vacant, uh, which was not the intention of the bond. The, the intention was to allow greater sidewalk traffic. Um, So I would ask them, have you guys ever been asked afterwards whether you were satisfied with the outcome and nobody ever asked them. So I think that uh, in most operations there's something called an after action report which takes a look to see how did these things work out and I think it would be good for us to take a look at that. The contracting processes, uh, again this is a a question of, of protecting our backside, as it were, the backside of our operation, not our literal backside. Um, you understood. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I need a lot of protection, but uh, I noticed that, for example, our city law prohibits contractors from making contributions to candidates for office, so I asked uh, the controller for a list of who are our major bond contractors, and then I ran through those with the list of uh, Donors to city candidates. And over half of them were regularly making many thousands of dollars in contributions to the candidates, despite the fact that the law exists. So, one approach to uh, ensuring that this is easily accessible to the public and to all of us is to generate a data system that allows things to be interfaced so that we don't end up embarrassed in the end with someone saying, gee, you awarded the contract to people who are making substantial contributions in violation of the law. Meanwhile, other people were frozen out of it. So I'd like to suggest that you all uh, provide some information so that the commission could decide whether it's a, a good expenditure of what it would cost to develop a system that lets things talk to each other.
7: And I should mention we're, we're thinking about a kind of similar project idea related to our own work planning in the year or two years ahead. So. Go ahead. As we work towards having a final work plan for the committee, this is probably the area where we need the most assistance from you to help understand what's on your mind to narrow to a list. So if you have other feedback after the meeting, please forward it along to Ms. Lane, and we can come back at your next meeting in the coming month with... Flushing out a little bit more of those ideas that feel like they have the most interest to in the most committee members. Um, and I apologize, I've gone well over my time here. Um, but the other, the other responsibility that you obviously sit at is sitting as the Citizen Audit Review Board, and in that role you're uh, providing advisory input to the Controller's Office on matters pertaining to the City Services Auditor, which is a, uh, has a whole set of other mandates established in the city charter by, the, by Voter Initiative. In particular, the, the, the foundational law for the Tits and Audit Review Board directs you to do four things. One is to review the controller's service standards and benchmarks. Two is to review all audits that we produce to ensure that they meet the charter requirements that are outlined for us. Third, to review the operations of the whistleblower program. And then lastly, and this is permissive, where you deem, you deem it appropriate hold public hearings regarding studies and audits. I'll briefly talk through each of these again and kind of what you've done in the past. and Again, you should, in this area in particular, um, because you're providing advice and oversight to us, you should be, you should come to what you're comfortable with and not simply take our recommendations to you. Um, review this, the first requirement, review the control of service standards and benchmarks. Um, this review has typically happened um, through the, again, through the designated liaisons to the CSA program. Um, we have, over time, this our benchmarks and our service standards are increasingly focused on two products that we produce. Um, and we have a lot of things that we have a lot of cases where we're benchmarking activities or we're creating performance measures. But kind of the two highest public public visibility reports that we're working on, I think that that are in this space are um, our performance scorecards, which are available on the website and are about 100 key city performance measures um that we publicly keep real-time information on and report how the city is doing in kind of visual dashboards um, your the your the liaison's feedback regarding whether those measures that we're choosing are the appropriate ones and the right ones for for the public would be very helpful to us and I think speak to this requirement and then secondly um, we've we've tried different approaches to benchmarking over time and in this last year we produced a single benchmarking report that covered the kind of a a mile wide and inch deep benchmarking of city services, we produced that this last year. Committee feedback on that report, again, I think speaks to the requirement to review our benchmarks. Um, And again, that would be, because those are both intended to be publicly accessible reports, feedback on whether they feel publicly accessible to, to you as members of the public would be valuable to us. Um, and again, I think it might be helpful or a suggested possibility for the coming year would to have, be to have us come and specifically present these two products to you as a full committee in the year ahead might be a, a way to, again, speak to this requirement. Um, second requirement is to review all audits that we produce to ensure that they meet the requirements above. Um, and above is speaking to the part of the charter that's us. Um, Again, this is something that we really rely on the liaisons to do, and we rely on them to do it through the review of our annual work plan. Um, You've typically had us present our work plan for the year ahead at this committee meeting in recent past, um, and I think we're planning to do that in the the month ahead. Um, We transfer all audits to you for review, um, we do understand that we, pr- we produce well over 150 different reviews and audits a year, so we try to include an executive summary so that you can understand the key points of an audit and then delve deeper for those that catch your fancy. Um, something the committee member has talked about in the past is whether you want to affirmatively act on our work plan each year. We've, in the past, we have presented the work plan to you. At times, the committee, members, committee has asked whether you want to affirmatively act on it or not, and that's really a choice for you to make as a committee. Um, Subject to the third requirement relates to the whistleblower program. Subject to appropriate rules consuring the confidentiality of complaints, review employee complaints received by the program and our disposition of these cases. Again, the committee's past practice here has really been through to designate liaisons to the program. those liaisons have typically met with whistleblower staff in our department to review case-specific cases, to pull cases and review how we're handling them, um, and then report back to the full committee in open session regarding their findings um, and and their impressions of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, this feels especially re- important given the sensitive nature of these invest investigations. Um, we need to have some process to allow you into the program to share cases with folks, but doing so in a confidential way that protects whistleblowers from from fear of retaliation. Um, we've also, over time, created additional reporting to you regarding the whistleblower program. and This has really been at the direction of the committee um, and as suggested by civil grand jury. So we've moved away from 10 years ago an annual report on whistleblower activities that was very general. We now provide you quarterly reports. And the quarterly reports uh, include stats on how the, how the uh, the programs running, how many we're taking in, what are closing, and we now include summaries that are anonymous but summaries of every sustained allegation. Um, so generally that's how the committee has spoken to th- this requirement in the past. And then lastly is the requirement that you can hold public hearings on audits. Um, we have a lot of other places that we present our audit work. We do it at commissions, we do it at the Board of Supervisors uh, different committees of the Board of Supervisors, um, we do it in other venues. the committee has typically wanted to hear about our construction audits, um, but you typically have not felt the need to speak to having public hearings on all of our audit work we 've done updates for you twice a year where we summarize that work in a public session, but the committee really has not um, wanted to conduct many many more public hearings again this is this is your call. Um, And so we've listed this as a possibility here. If you wanted to have, if you felt like you had time and interest to have more presentations of key audits we're performing over the year here, we we would be welcome to it. But as the chair indicated earlier, there is a question here about your own time and bandwidth and what's the best use of your time as a committee. So thank you for bearing with me um, and for a bit of feedback. Our time is
0: yours, Ben.
9: So I have some feedback. Thank you for, this is very, very thorough, and thank you for going back to why we're doing these things um, and grounding that. Um, so it, if we're, I guess we're going to talk about this again at the next meeting, and there's some things that I'd love to, to talk about. Um, one is I'd love to hear um, uh, what the mechanics of a change to the liaison would be um, that would allow us to work collaboratively um, and take advantage of all the knowledge on this in this group. Um, I'm not saying... I think there's going to be pros and cons to that, but I mean it would be great to sort of hear what our options are there. Um, uh, one of the things when we talk about um, how much work this is, one of the things that stuck out for me is uh, hearing twice a year from every, um, every bond, and I'm in, I was wondering whether you guys would have a proposal for bonds that were at a point where maybe we want to hear once a year from them. Um, less going on, less risk, um, so that that might help free up some time Um, And I don't want to just sort of go into twice a year just because we've done it in the past. Um, uh, I think one of the issues that came up um, was coordination with other bond oversight efforts, and I think that would be great to hear something about that um, before we make our final decision on this. Um, I think that we didn't come to a decision on uh, how many audits per year uh, you, you, I think you guys were going to come back with a recommendation on that one. Um, I, I'd love to hear, um, and I, I don't necessarily have an issue with um, the audits that were picked on page 8 here, but I'd love to hear the rationale on, on, on how that list um, became, became sure. um, uh, the plan or the proposed plan. Um, and then finally, you know, what I heard through this presentation, um, when you think about the website and you think about the communication, and then you also sort of get into the last few slides, um, this is sounding like... Um, really an, an engagement around communications um, not just not just how we communicate but what we do here, but what is what is really the value of those communications, particularly um, uh, when we talked about um, on page eleven uh, standards and be- benchmarks. Um, I think you're either. You, you, I think you suggested. You know what really is the value to the to the to the, to our citizens for the for these. And I think that um, uh, on the face of it, it's incredibly valuable. Um, <clears throat> the reality is, it, are people using this? And so I think I think that we could we could develop a. Communications project um, and hire a consultant that can help around. You know, what are we saying? What are we doing? Um, particularly public-facing stuff, not necessarily a lot of this other stuff, um, but really get some advice on 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 what a, what the right communications plan um, and how to really show that value to our citizens. Um, and so, it's bringing together a few of the a few of the things into to maybe one project for next year.
0: Um, for the meeting. Next month, where we follow up on this, uh, will that be a point where we can provide feedback on, on what you have presented today, Ben? Is that the understanding? Is that what what we're thinking of doing? Uh,
7: absolutely. Um, at that time, you can. Um, we've t- we've heard some feedback today, which is helps us shape yeah. what will be we think will be helpful for you at your next meeting. If there's feedback before then, it will be even more helpful to okay. us. Okay. So give you either summary. today or committee members can send it directly to Mora between meetings and we can work to incorporate it into okay. the next presentation. So as individuals we can send things to Mora. You just can't send them to each other. <laughs> um, that's the <laughs> reminder. <laughs> but we're
9: voting at the next meeting, right?
7: Uh, and so this is That's that would be the suggestion. If you're not ready, it can it can spill over into July. But yeah. Right. The hope would be that you have enough to feel comfortable voting yeah. on a work plan. Because
0: yeah. on assessing public satisfaction, since we'd like to hear this sooner rather than later, not just what whether or not the public is satisfied with what happened, but if it was to assess whether they got what they were expecting based on the text of the bond. You know, did they get what they were expecting when they voted? Because I've had it happen to me, as, as we have discussed, where... Money got spent in areas where I wasn't expecting to get spent. We got something other than what I read into the bond, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Matter of fact, I think that's part of the reason why I, we exist, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But we have the, the opportunity to email you or email
7: Mora with other. They'll have better responsiveness if you email Mora. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I found that. Yes. <laughs> Uh,
5: Let let me just uh, get clarification. So, input relating to this draft um, should be sent to uh, Mora Mora. um, ahead of our scheduled meeting, and possible. And at that meeting, what we hope to do is, committee is to come to an agreement on a draft that would be presented in the next GOBOC meeting, at which we hope to be it to be ratified or approved. Approved. Is that the plan timeline?
7: It could be either, e- either. yeah, I think the idea is that working next meeting or over maybe if needed over the next two meetings to refine, narrow, and then adopt the work plan for the new fiscal year.
0: But the, but the June meeting, the special
7: meeting, the it's entire scope of that is, uh, is specific to, to this work plan item. Yeah. Good.
1: If I, I'd like to just uh, suggest consideration of an additional standard and benchmark, picking up on what Commissioner Chu is talking about, our interface with the public. There are charter requirements uh, that are not being examined. For example, the departments are required to submit an annual report of their activities and file it with the public library. And in the civil grand jury review of that, we found that over half of the city departments don't do those, even though it's in the charter. There are other charter requirements about diversity on city boards and commissions. Um, The Commission on Status of Women does an annual report One of the diversity issues is uh, people who are disabled, and it shows in their report that there's only one commissioner in the city, out of all of the hundreds there are, who is a disabled person. And that's because the MTA has a requirement for a disabled person on it. I'm sure that there are more than one person who is disabled as a commissioner, but there's only one who's reported that way. And there are a variety of things like that, all of which are focused in one direction, which is to enhance the opportunity for the public to participate in the decisions that are affecting them, either participating as uh, letting them know that vacancies exist on various boards and commissions, uh, what the requirements are, whether the the reports are being submitted as required. So um, I'd be happy to provide the controller's Office with a list of what I've seen as charter requirements or requirements that are passed into law. And uh, to add that as one of the reports that the audit reviews, it's one way of prompting better compliance with what the
7: charter requires. All right. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. So we have no further questions. So we open up for, well, are there further questions from the commission? Then we can open up for a public comment. Look, there's going to be some.
3: Good morning, my name is Jerry Dratler. There's a role for both the CPA financial audit that examines transactions and cost, uh, construction cost management reviews, like the cost opinions coming made regarding construction soft cost. Your committee is free to mitch and max, excuse me, mix and match the type of audits you deploy, deploy. Change in topic. DPW has the same project cost management challenges but many more projects. Their solution is the project dashboard report that I handed out which reports on changes in project cost, the type and cost of change orders and changes in project completion dates. These are the project control points in the handout I gave you in evaluating how you would manage bond expenditures. My recommendation for you is to ask DPW to run their dashboard report each month on each of your bond-funded projects. A PDF of that report can be posted each month on the CSA website for the public, and the CGOVAC liaisons can review the monthly report and frame CGOVAC's monthly questions and concerns to the project sponsor. If each committee member were to directly communicate their report concerns to the project sponsor it would solve your Brown Act challenge and make bond expenditure oversight more efficient. You can also determine the meeting project presentations based on which projects are over budget experiencing escalating change orders or project delays. My recommendation would accomplish a number of objectives The sponsor presentation would be responsive to the important questions and should be much briefer. There would be better utilization of members time and the public would be able to monitor general obligation bond-funded projects on a more timely basis. Thank you.
0: Any other public comment? Hearing none.
2: Item 5, presentation from the City Services Auditor regarding CSA reports and audits and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
11: I'm Peg Stevenson. I'm the director of the performance side of the City Services Auditor. This is Tanya Letaju, who's the director of the audit side of City Services Auditor. And um, we're going to talk briefly about our work plan for the upcoming year and um, some issues and struggles that we're having and how we're making our decisions in the coming year and um, we've had one meeting with Larry Bush um, to talk to him about some of these issues as liaison and um, get some feedback and um, Ms. Chu will still like to do that with you if we get an opportunity between now and June so there's time for that Um, so I have a couple of slides here which you have been on the committee before you've seen them before just to very briefly run you through um, what our mandates are and how we look under the Charter We are a creature of Charter Appendix F, passed by the voters in November 2003. Um, This is just a summary very broadly of what our mandates are. We are the city's internal auditor, conducting financial and performance audits of many types. We evaluate the quality and quantity of city services, compare, benchmark, and provide public information and transparency. Um, I always talk about this requirement as being aspirational. It really is um, trying to report to the public and make sure that our Service delivery is um, easily understandable and um, information is available in formats that can be understood and used by uh, uh, the public. There are some specific requirements about measuring and reporting on the city's performance to standards for streets, parks, and sidewalks. You might remember at the time this was passed, there were a couple of advocacy organizations who felt very strongly about those issues, so there are specific requirements about them in the charter. Um, evaluate city management and employment practices. Oversee contracting procedures and RFP standards, and operate a whistleblower hotline and website and conduct investigations. Again, at the time the Charterment was, was passed, the um, need for a whistleblower uh, function in the city was very strongly felt, so that's specifically called out. To give you a sense of scale, um, this talks about our funding. The Charter requirement is for two tenths of 1% of the city's by budget by fund to be set aside for our activities. By fund means something specific, so any enterprise agency has its own fund. The airport is a fund, the Public Utilities Commission is a fund. So as a practical matter, we get a work order, a transaction, which moves money from their operating budget into ours and lets us spend it on activities doing work with and for them, audits and performance projects. If we don't spend it, the money goes back to their fund at the end of the year. Um, again, just for a sense of scale, our preliminary projection of our seventeen eighteen 18 budget is $16.5 million in operating funds and $1.5 million in um, that same type of allocation from the bond funds. And as you imagine, that varies uh, a lot by how much is issued during the year. It's largely dependent on cash flow and bond issuances for staffing, about 65 FTEs and a few more auditors than uh, performance analysts, but um, I know Tanya's managing them well, so that's fine. Um, Again, just to give you a sense of scale, our budget looks like the city budget, so our largest um, clients are the city's largest departments, um, about four million dollars from the general fund, um, about four million dollars from the city's Department of Public Health between the two hospitals and the uh, public health operation, and then on down the line I've just listed our um, largest work orders, so you can see who we do the most work for two units um, city audits um, these are their functions performance audits operational construction compliance financial and mandated audits and the whistleblower hotline city performance the standards performance measures benchmarking uh, technical assistance and then we have a particular role where we're trying to do um, interdepartmental audits and citywide work We can allocate our staff costs across our work orders, and there's a real advantage to that. Our performance program is run that way. Um, We can do all that uh, performance measurement benchmarking the system that we run because we can allocate our staff costs across the city. Um, Our work planning process. So we spend a fair amount of time during the last fiscal quarter of the year planning for the next upcoming year, We review a lot of sources. We look at civil grand jury audits, at other audits that have been done during the year, at our charter mandates, um, at mandates that appear in the city's grant language, um, in its leases and contracts, and kind of any source that tells us how the city should be viewing its compliance activity. Um, We do some risk analysis. We meet with the mayor, the board, other leadership um, in the city, we meet with departments. We go a couple of layers down in um, the org structure of any large department, so we meet with their department head and at least a couple of their program managers to discuss ideas with them and get an understanding of what's challenging in their operating environment at the time. Um, and we look at the bond and capital programs, and we respond to public concern and interest. Um, I can talk a little bit more, for example, about our work to help the new Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing gets stood up, um, and that's partly driven by an awareness of how critical those issues are to the public and all of its leadership. Um, we compile a list of those projects and audits. Um, we prioritize them in con- consultation with controller, the leadership, with this uh, committee in this discussion, um, and then we resource balance. We make sure that we have the hours uh, in our staff to cover that time that's needed and the money in the work orders. It's. Um, uh, Kind of that simple in the in the bottom line. Looking ahead in 1718 in my program, um, we have a large program for performance management. You're familiar with the major outcomes and products of that. Um, our performance database, where there's a lot of activity that goes on during the year to update and validate, make sure that the measures are still true and reported by uh, real data. Um, we try and grow and increase our uh, portfolio of work every year, which is devoted to public uh, interest and transparency. The SF Open Books um, site was one of those. The transition from what used to be our performance quarterly reports into the scorecards last year was one of those, and growing that work and making it better. And adding the benchmarking and research reports. So that's all run under the performance management program. The manager of that you might have seen in some of the public settings is Natasha Mihal. Um, Parks, uh, we do our regular work where my staff inspect the parks and report on it in a a good-sized public report. We speak to the Rec and Park Commission about that, and we try to improve that work every year. Uh, I don't know if you remember my excitement uh, last year when we went mobile um, for the first time, but it was huge. Um, It's making that data so much better and the collection so much better. You can report a condition that fails the city's park standards, and take a picture of it right there and then, uh, which is geocoded and um, can then be brought into the work order system at Rec Park. It's amazing the difference the mobile has made, um, and we're hoping to do that next year for the street and sidewalk reporting. Um, city-wide nonprofit monitoring, this is where we work with all the city departments that jointly have a contract with the same CBO to uh, report our fiscal and compliance standards with them once instead of multiple visits. Um, the data academy, we have a teaching function in my group where we're... Um, <coughs> doing just simple teaching of software that everybody has to use all the time. Excel um, and uh, now a new visualization software called Tableau which lets people take their data and make it reportable and visualizable uh, a whole lot simpler. Uh, We teach basic data analytics and descriptive statistics. Um, We are teaching business process analysis that anybody can do, Uh, Lean 101 as we're calling it, and then next year I think we're going to add to our teaching function uh, um, a simple GIS things so that GIS has now become one of those softwares where you don't have to be all that expert to use it and probably anybody with geocoded data that wants to use it for analytical purposes can learn to do that. Um, And a couple of major things, Um, Department of Public Health, uh, we're continuing to work with them on everything that's changing in the Affordable Care Act environment. They're now underway with the acquisition of a new electronic health record system which is going to be the city's most expensive ever IT project. That's its claim to fame so far. Um, Hopefully, it'll go well with the team effort across the city. Uh, MTA, um, our major effort in the upcoming year is an improvement in their uh, passenger service complaint request process. Um, If you've ever made a complaint to Muni uh, 2311 or any other uh, methodology, you might have wondered what happened to it. (laughs) So we've gone through a long analytical process to find out and how much of it is uh, reported back to the complainants, how much of it is acted on, and in what ways, and how can that whole process be made better. Um, We'll be supporting the capital planning and real estate functions, so civic center space planning, the hall of justice space planning, um, the safety facilities, including a possible expansion of the 1011 Turk Street. Um, We'll be growing and improving the performance program adding Data data Academy classes, as I mentioned, and the housing and homelessness and supportive housing effort. Um, we've done a couple of things with and for them, which I could talk about if you're of interest, but yes. um, that goes on in the next years. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Tanya, and we're both happy to take any questions you have at any time.
0: Peg, before you step away, you said that you could tell us more about your assistance to the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. You would meet in a subsequent meeting or now or well, in the. Take a few seconds.
11: Um, at Jeff Kazitsky's request, he's the director, yes. we did um, an analysis just wrapping up now of the SF Hot Team, which is their on call street response team. Um, how do they work together? How do they respond to the different streams of calls? 311. Uh, mayor and board, things that come through the public health or referred from the police or for DPW or any other way that they get calls referred. Um, They have a couple of different tracks and a couple of different types of staff, Uh, social workers, case managers. um, How do they track people into shelter or housing? Um, How do they work with the encampment team? Um, So the outcome of this is a logic model that kind of shows you how those different types of calls are tracked. Um, and what access the different types of workers have to the resources to get people into housing or referral programs. And um, I think there'll be a considerable improvement in the happiness of the workforce that are doing that work and clarity about those calls. We're not promising faster transition right now into shelter uh, necessarily from this work, but um, I think you can probably imagine uh, how hard that job is and um, how much uh, they feel under pressure to respond um, and how they handle the sort of immediate response work that they need to do versus case management. So that was one project. And then the other was just a, a very straightforward business process analysis of contracts, uh, their RFP cycle, um, how they get performance uh, measures and deliverables into their contracts, um how they monitor their providers and get every, everything transitioned from the department that used to hold the contract, DPH or HSA or others sometimes held the contract, and now they're all moving into the new department, so they have to be managed by the same team. Good.
0: One other quick unrelated question, I, I think Could I bit. follow up on the same oh. home? Oh, yeah, go ahead, question. please.
5: Um, I, I appreciate that your assistance to this new group is important because of the performance and the timeliness of their response. Um, I, I have some concerns as to whether or not the controls office is actually subsidizing and doing some of the work that that particular group should be doing. It's a new group um, and, and I'm I'm, I, I'm not aware of whether or not they do have a budget. Do they have a budget on which they are operating under?
11: Yes, um, it's a reasonable concern. We try to manage that by doing work which is project-based, so time-limited with a deliverable, and then we perform the work and exit. Um, we try to be conscious of not becoming operating staff of any department. Um, Home Assistance Supportive Housing has a budget which came to them through the movement of those functions that used to sit in HSA or DPH or one of those other departments into the new structure. Um, So they look like any other city department in that respect now. They have an operating budget, and we get a work order from them.
5: Thank you.
0: And one other question. Uh, Back to the Municipal Transportation Agency. You said you look at their capital program delivery. Um, What are you doing there?
11: Um, We, I don't think I said, uh, oh, capital program delivery. Um, They have requested a project in the upcoming year, which, um, honestly, I'd have to look at my work plan detail to uh, say more about it, which I can do um, and come back to you after Tanya's discussion maybe. That'll be fine. I want to just take a
1: moment to compliment the uh, audit staff for providing information based by Supervisors District because that's where most people's, uh, interest is is what's going on in my neighborhood, and and your uh, your dashboard shows by neighborhood each of the different things that are going on, and I think that's a real improvement, and I'm 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 happy for it. I, I would like to suggest uh, that we have some information from you on which entities in San Francisco that are providing services are not subject to uh, the city's review. I as I understand it. The housing authority is not something that comes under, uh, the, uh, under the review of the controller's Office. I don't know if that's true for Port or Treasure Island or anything else, but all of them have a role in, in public satisfaction with what's going on in the city. And so to at least know what's not part of the picture is worth us ha- knowing.
7: We have, um, whether it's for CSA functions or our functions generally in the controller's office, we've got jurisdiction to perform this work um, over anyone that's a legal part of the city and county of San Francisco as a legal matter. And kind of what that means in the real world is, um, you no, know, the the housing authority is a unique legal entity. The school district is a le- unique legal entity. The community colleges as well. Treasure Island is actually a component unit of the city and county, and so we do have authority to audit and review and control expenditures and everything else we do with them. Um, so that's kind of where that line ends.
1: So so the housing authority is not a, a unit that you all have authority to review? We,
7: we do not have. The charter doesn't kind of authorize the, our body of work, whatever it is, over the housing authority itself. What about, um, the,
1: what about the fact that the affordable housing bond includes some funds going to the housing authority?
7: That certainly, we have any city funds flowing to any of these agencies. Give us purview to review the use of those funds, and at times open up opportunities to do other kinds of review in them. A um, um, I should say, in a lot of cases, though, we we have done work with most of these entities, um, notwithstanding a legal requirement they that they are compelled to work with us. Um, so in the past year, we have completed some work with the Housing Authority regarding an assessment of their finance function, for example, um, and offered a set of recommendations to them regarding how that function sits together. Um, I've spent much more time than I would have wanted to during the last year with the Transbay Joint Powers Authority, building the Transbay Terminal, for example, unique legal entity, but they've asked for our assistance and we've spent a lot of time with them. So even where the line is drawn, occasionally we're invited in to other places for help
1: I note just for our, our group that uh, one out of ten San Francisco households is subsidized by HUD, either in the Housing Authority or in yeah. Section 8 or um, HOPWA, some of those programs. That's a very substantial population for the city. And that it's good for us to be able to have our hands on that in some way or another. And yeah.
13: Good morning. So we will continue with our risk-based audit program that aligns to generally accepted auditing um, standards published by the Federal Government Accountability Office. And our audits are basically designed to review or test key business processes, our functions and financial data to ensure that, um, to ensure overall compliance, effectiveness, and efficiency in (coughs) our programs in the city. And so you can see we have a host of programs and in our information technology cyber security audit program, we actually collaborate with the Department of Technology cyber um, team and we have a host of audit work that we do um, throughout the departments as it relates to penetration testing, looking at information technology controls to ensure that we have appropriate security around our business processes. We have our continued cash transaction um, cash receipts audit and we're looking to ensure that we have effective controls around cash receipt in the city. Within all of our departments, we have our payroll audits, and we're ensuring that um, our payroll is issued in accordance to our um, MOUs within our bargaining units, as well as our contracts compliance audits. And so we're continuing to do work that enhances the quality of our contracting um, processes that are conducted within our departments, our city, overall, overall in our city. And then we have a non-audit profit um, program that we're bringing on board looking at our community-based um, practitioners that provide services for our city. And we also have our GEO Our construction audits, I'm just flipping the slides, so we have our construction audits that we are doing as it relates to general obligation expenditure audits that we are conducting Our contracting out with, as an example, Cummings Construction Management. We are also looking at doing a pre-construction phase audit program where we are looking at... Um, determining whether planning and pre-construction activities meet existing policies and procedures that are already designed in the city and ensuring that they're effective, they're efficient. We are also continuing to look at construction closeout. We're looking at change management, audit, auditing in the construction world as as well. And we are completing a benchmarking assessment of all of our construction activity and work that we have done within the city. And as you can see, we're responsible for doing concession audits. That's at the port, at the airport, so those audits are continuously going on and they're required by our admin code as well. And then we continue to have our field follow-up audit, something that you spoke about, the recommendations that are issued to the audit client. So we continuously follow up on those recommendations every six months, every 12, 18, two years. And our hope is within the two-year mark that all the audit recommendations have been addressed. And generally, we have a 96%, 97% rate compliance generally the 4% or 3% that are outstanding are due to some large system implementation that's needed and or bargaining unit contract um, issue that has to be open wait um, not addressed until the bargaining unit contract is open so overall we really do in the city have a great compliance rate to the recommendations that are issued by our audits And that's it. So,
1: okay. Questions from the committee? I, I noticed uh, one of the audits that you did was on uh, ride <coughs> programs that go to the airport, and in that you found that uh, a contract had been awarded to a firm that did not have that had not met all the requirements that the drivers have insurance or whatever it was, and all. All your authority allowed you to do, as I understand it, was to note that in the report and forward it on. Do you wish you had more authority to order compliance with the results of your audits?
13: I really believe that we have the appropriate authority that comes with our role. And again, as Ben has mentioned, there are several boards that we report out our work. And and with that... Hearing the audit recommendations and findings, it helps with compliance. And I have to say, really, overall, the city is extremely responsive at the department in resolving the findings in our um, audit reports and following through with the recommendations.
1: It's the anomalies that always catch the attention. I'm sorry? It's the anomalies that always catch people's attention. And that's
13: what auditing and is. Part of auditing is to de As part of auditing is to determine are we in compliance and definitely I think with everything there always are going to be anomalies and the beauty of audit work is not the finding but the recommendation and the mitigation of that recommendation and allowing individuals our departments to have the opportunity to see that there is an issue and the opportunity to respond and make the correction and again I am quite pleased with how everyone is responding.
5: Uh, Tanya, um, thank you for all the work and you and your audit team um, do for the city. I, I would like you to comment a little on the nonprofit audit. Um, can you share a little bit with us the criterion, um, example? Um, does every nonprofit in the city that receives city funds receives an audit, and how often is,
13: is this done? So currently, what we're doing, there's two components to this, and. It right here. Okay, so there are two components to this program that's being developed. On Peg's side of the world, there's a nonprofit monitoring program that she can speak more into depth with. But my team is collaborating with her, her team, as it relates to the data that they're collecting, on different components, as it relates to, um, in the entity on financial data, on data as it relates to setting up a nonprofit organization and the Um, funding sources of that um, particular organization. We are developing a risk-based model and taking, laying out a set of attributes, and we have not finalized what all those attributes will be for the risk modeling of our data. And once we set up all of the attributes and go through how that modeling is going to be designed, it will determine the high-risk, medium, and low-risk CBOs and from that work we will then begin to determine how whom we will audit. So
5: since this is um, kind of a working process we don't really have this model yet so currently there are a vast number of nonprofits receiving city funds so how are we um, getting a handle on whether or not the funds they received from the city is actually going towards
11: the work they said they were going to do? So um, the program that my office runs is uh, citywide joint uh, fiscal and compliance monitoring so this addresses about two hundred nonprofits now, and the criteria being that they hold a contract with more than one city agency and so we go out and monitor their s- compliance to the city's uh, fiscal and compliance standards so that's Uh, proper public reporting of their budget, proper cost allocation, tax compliance, ADA, complaint processes, um, a whole host of things which are logistical, practical, financial. Um, We report they're uh, meeting the standards or not. Um, if they fail to meet the standards, there's a process by which they're placed on an elevated concern status, where the city is working with them on a corrective action plan to act on those things and bring them back into compliance. If that doesn't happen over time, we can uh, put them into a status where they're no longer eligible for city RFP processes. So that that addresses a very large um, about. $400 million worth, I think, of contracted dollars to 200 agencies. Um, so that's that's one program we do. Um, many of those nonprofits this would... Annual be- audit. As long as they have this contract with the city, you, you, you review them annually. Right. Many of those nonprofits, depending on their size, would also, as you imagine, probably have to have their own uh, financial statement audit, just like the city does, which is... Um, uh, reported on whether they've successfully passed it or not is one of our compliance standards. So that's the financial and compliance world. The performance world is a little bit different in city. Um, this is where subject matter experts who know how that work should be done, um, whether whatever, whatever kind of work it is, uh, case management of mental health um, uh, cases, for example. The The department that owns that contract does um, performance monitoring, going in there, looking at the site, pulling case files to test, um, looking at their deliverables and whether they're reaching the number of clients they said they were going to, that kind of thing. By and large, that's done separately still in the city. So DPH does their own. HSA does their own. Sheriff's Office does their own. um, And... Uh, there's now a desire on the part of the city to uh, to try to take an initial look at doing citywide approaches on that uh, same uh, concept as we're doing with fiscal and compliance where we would look at department at agencies that had a contract with more than one department and design a monitoring that could be more publicly reported and touch at a higher level to um, speak to some of the issues about whether or not the city is duplicating services um, get more outcome measurement in as a focus Mayor's office just concluded a working group on that subject with CBO leadership and some others, so we'll be doing work on that, um, you know, which the lingo for it would be citywide program monitoring uh, in the upcoming fiscal year.
5: So just so that I understand, the performance uh, aspect of these funds are um, are the responsibility of the city uh, department that contracted the agreement currently. Thank you.
4: Mr. Chair, I have a question. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, and it's for Ben and Peg, whichever, whoever, Tanya, whoever would like to weigh in. Um, so we've talked about a couple of things and a couple of examples, and we cited the MTA and, and the ridership complaint uh, ex- uh, access to the database to, to file and what have you. And, and we talked about whether or not, you know, people were satisfied with the outcome of certain bond measures, whether, whether, you know, it was what they expected or not. And with the, let's just use the MTA as an example. Someone says, you, you're doing an audit, and someone says, I waited eight minutes for a streetcar, and that's far too long, I'm unsatisfied. And someone else says, "I waited eight minutes for a streetcar, and I'm very satisfied and so at the end of the survey audit we we had a thousand responses, ten thousand responses, five thousand satisfied, five thousand unsatisfied and and here and that's what we found and so Well, let's not even. Let's say we found 9,000 people not satisfied, 1,000 people satisfied. And so, I don't know, is eight minutes. Is it appropriate to be unsatisfied with eight minutes? Or is it appropriate to be satisfied with eight minutes? So, while no doubt you have a measurement, have you ever found measurements that really. We're not a meaningful measure to arrive at a conclusion. So, and if so, can we sort of not, maybe maybe measuring things that don't lead us to a meaningful result, we can eliminate. Mm.
11: If there have been. I love a, these kind of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, le, well, let me tell you why no, I, it's. It's a really good way to view it. Um, so MTA is a good example. There's performance data, real real data about how much on time performance there is, yep. um adherence to schedule, bunching and gaps between trips, frequency, crowding. We have real time data about those things. Yeah. We have opinion data that we collect through the city survey and Muni does its own fair amount of public surveying. Um, and we need to, to understand the system and act on it and improve its delivery. You need both. Um, again, I am not an expert here, but one of the ways to think about this is there's a lot of people at, at, who design these things who say on-time schedule doesn't matter. You know, nobody cares if it's going to come at 9.07 or 9.08 as long as they come, you know, less than five minutes apart. Nobody cares about the schedule if you achieve a certain frequency. That makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And so the on-time performance standards that are there for Muni that are in the charter um, are useful but only to a point. So they can report on on on-time performance, but if they're not achieving the frequency on that route that matters to people, that's exactly that kind of measure, which is, you know, action without result. Um, So I'd say it's a – and Muni consistently gets the lowest satisfaction scores of anything in our own city survey – um, we uh, I don't have it handy, but we have a fair amount of knowledge on which routes um, are the worst and what the Im- improvement designs are. Um, there's a constant effort on this uh, front in Muni. Um, it would be, I'd be happy when we come back and, for example, report on our scorecard and our benchmarking report to bring some more detail on that data uh, with you so I can give you a better view inside it.
7: So. At least yeah, just no, to just, just add briefly, like, and and it's a great question, and, and Peg's answer is a good one. The we have really significant work in all in three different areas, all of which, as Peg notes, you need to kind of help make real decisions. Um, how are we how are we measuring our own performance as a government, um, and how are we performing against those standards? Are they the right standards? Is are these are kind of questions we ask in that part of work? So how are we how are we doing in, in terms of meeting our own targets? how do we compare to others, um, meaning other cities, and we do that work through benchmarking another, and then how are we perceived by residents in terms of their satisfaction with those services. And, like, and the interplay of all three of those is a really interesting place, and information from all of them helps managers make better decisions, I think. Yeah. And we've got really meaningful work going on in all three of those buckets, and the intersection of them is an interesting place to think about.
4: Yeah. Thank you.
11: And actually, it's related Mr. Larkin's question about yes. what our reference was to the capital program, and it's also up your alley because of the issues that you were discussing about bond programs generally. it's a it, the reference is to a request which came from their Chief Financial officer, Sonali Bose at MTA. Um, there's a fair amount of unhappiness with the slow pace of delivery on the transportation bond. Um, you've talked about this. There was a public hearing at the Board of Supervisors. Um, Ed Reskin has been you know, talking about it in public, and they have asked for what is termed a program evaluation in our work plan, which would select re- three recent projects um, where their public outreach um, effort um, contributed to delayed project delivery, assess the issues, and recommend improvements in their outreach process. So how are they reaching people? Who are they reaching? On what schedule are they running public hearings and outreach processes? And how is it impacting their uh, capital program delivery? So that's what the request is from their CFO, to do that on a, a program evaluation approach.
0: Thank you. Good thing to look at. All right. Any other questions from the committee? Then we're open for public comment we got some.
3: Otherwise these meetings would be very boring. (laughs) 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 My name is Jerry Dratler. There are many important city projects that the CSA supports. See GOBAC needs to ensure that all mandated or must-do CSA requirements are fulfilled before may-do projects are funded in the annual work plan. When you review the final CSA annual work plan, I recommend that you ask to see how CSA budget funding is allocated between must do and may do projects. This is really critical. This is the key oversight responsibility for the CSA that Segalbach has. I believe that nonprofit oversight, while critically important, is not a must do requirement. I'd like to make an important performance reporting distinction the CSA does an effective job of reporting on the quality of city department services like are the parks clean the CSA is much less effective in reporting on the cost delivery of specific city services like what is the cost of maintaining an acre of city parkland or paving a mile of road compared to other cities this is a mandated CSA required services. There are approximately 55 major city departments, and I believe less than 10 of these departments have had a benchmark performance report which deals with cost per unit of service delivered over the last five years. Citywide benchmarks are a may do, not a must do requirement. The question is, how many major city departments will be benchmarked this year and next year. Thank you.
0: Other public comment? Hearing none.
2: Item six, presentation from the city services auditor regarding the whistleblower program and possible action by the committee in response to such presentation.
14: Good morning, committee members. My name is Steve Flaherty. I'm a principal auditor with the audits unit. I'm here today with Jonathan Collum. He's a supervisory auditor who also works with me in the whistleblower program. Today's presentation is an update on whistleblower program activities and initiatives through quarter three of fiscal year 2016-17. We last presented in front of C. Gobach on November 2016, at which time we reviewed fiscal year 2016-17 activities through quarter one. In advance of today's presentation, the Whistleblower Program staff supported quarterly meetings with our Seagull liaisons, Brenda Queen mcnulty and Jennifer Warburg, to keep them apprised of Whistleblower Program activities. Since our last presentation, we've issued two quarterly reports and two fraud bulletins. For the benefit of... Gomac members, since it's been a while since our last presentation, the first four slides of today will provide an overview of the whistleblower program's authority, jurisdiction, and role in ensuring a well-run city government. The whistleblower program's authority is derived from three sources: California Government Code, San Francisco Charter, and San Francisco Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code. California Government Code Section 53087.6 empowers a city and county auditor-controller to maintain a whistleblower program to receive information regarding allegations of fraud, waste, or abuse by local government employees. Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code, Article 4, implements Charter Appendix F and directs the controller as city Service auditor to administer a whistleblower program. Lastly, Charter Appendix F, Section 1.07 requires the controller to administer a whistleblower program. The whistleblower program is tasked with investigating, tracking and resolving four broad categories of complaints. Specifically, these categories are the misuse of city funds, improper activities by city officers and employees, deficiencies in the quality and delivery of government services and wasteful and inefficient government practices. However, uh, given those broad category of complaints received, there are some very specific things that the whistleblower program does not investigate. Those are matters which another city department is required by federal, state or local law to adjudicate, matters which may be resolved through a grievance mechanism established by a bargaining unit or contract, Allegations involving potential violations of criminal law, although the controller's Office may take action on the non-criminal aspects of the matter. And those subject to existing ongoing investigations by the District Attorney, City Attorney, or Ethics Commission, where the applicable official or department states in writing that an investigation by the controller would impede or delay their own investigation into the matter. Lastly, the whistleblower Program does not investigate allegations which may involve a violation of governmental ethics laws. Whistleblower programs serve many purposes. Uh, one of the best purposes is providing a confidential place for employees and city residents to report their concerns. The whistleblower program, as a central source for complaint intake, ensures that systemic issues and risk trends are identified early and can be proactively addressed by city management. As shown on this slide, there are many benefits to organizations operating fraud hotlines and performing complaint investigations.
15: Complaint activity for fiscal year 1617 through quarter three. At the beginning of fiscal year 1617, there were 69 complaints open. The whistleblower program had received 325 complaints in fiscal year 1617 through March 31st. This is a 45% increase from 224 complaints received in the same period of fiscal year 1516. The whistleblower program closed 334 complaints in fiscal year 1617 through March 31st. The majority of these complaints were closed within 90 days of their receipt. It is the goal of the Whistleblower program to close 80% of complaints received within 90 days. There were 60 complaints open at March 31st. Shown here are the complaints received by quarter for the past 5 fiscal years. We've already, we have already received as many complaints through quarter 3 as we did in all of fiscal year 15-16. Overall, the, number, overall, the annual number of complaints received has increased every year since fiscal year 12-13. The whistleblower program received 128 complaints in fiscal year 16-17 quarter 2 alone, the most received in any quarter during the past five fiscal years shown here. Whistleblower program complaint volume cannot be attributed to any one single factor. However, one factor that can influence complaints is outreach campaigns. The controller's office uses multiple forms of proactive communication to make employees and members of the public aware of the whistleblower program, Last fiscal year, the Whistleblower Program issued a public outreach on demand video to existing employees and for departments to include in their new employee orientation program. Examples of proactive communication this fiscal year include issuance of three quarterly reports and two fraud bulletins. The majority of complaints we received were received via our online web forum, which includes complaints filed by 311. The web form is an important tool as not everyone feels comfortable speaking with a live person about their issue or do not have a private location to make a call to the whistleblower program. With the web web form, individuals can type the information in and can take time to think about and review what they have written before submitting. The web form is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Complainants also have the option of filing a complaint by email, in person, telephone, fax, or letter. Multiple intake channels ensure that the whistleblower program is readily accessible to potential complainants and available to them in a manner in which they are comfortable. The majority of the complaints we receive are anonymous. The whistleblower program takes anonymous reports seriously. Especially in the case of anonymous reporters, there may never be an opportunity to ask clarifying questions. The web form helps ensure that all important details are captured. When follow-up is necessary, the Whistleblower program offers unique tracking numbers so anonymous reporters can get in touch with an investigator. The fiscal year 16-17 Quarter 3 report features statistics on complaints investigated and closed by departments with more than 200 employees. We compared complaints investigated and closed by department with the budgeted full-time employees at these departments. The centralized nature of the Whistleblower program allows us to identify trends, the Whistleblower Program regularly reviews complaint data across departments to identify areas of concern. The Whistleblower Program understands it's, it is important for complainants to feel that their concerns are important and seriously considered, so makes every effort to complete investigations in a timely manner. If complaints are not resolved in a timely manner, complainants may conclude that their allegations are not being taken seriously. Resolving incident reports consistently and timely improves employee trust. Through March 31st of this fiscal year, the whistleblower program had closed 277 of the 344 complaints, or 83% of all complaints closed in 90 days or less. There are several factors that can influence the length of an investigation beyond 90 days. These factors include the number of allegations in a complaint, the number of witnesses and subjects, the need to coordinate investigative efforts among multiple departments, and the need to gather documentation and other evidence from multiple sources. Now, of the 202 complaints investigated and closed, 35% led to a corrective or preventative action. Whistleblower program investigations results in departments taking a wide variety of corrective and preventative actions. It is the department, not the whistleblower program, that decides what personnel action, if any, should be taken as a result of the investigation. Whistleblower program investigations resulted in departments taking action against employees who lived with a subordinate employee, creating the appearance of favoritism in the workplace, received leave pay when they were ineligible for it, excessively used a work phone for personal business, clocked in for another employee who was not on duty, and an individual who violated overtime law. The whistleblower program ended quarter three with 60 open complaints. The majority of these complaints at 73% were open less than 90 days at the start of quarter four. Uh,
14: So with regard to complaint substantiation rates, uh, we believe a high substantiation rate is achieved when well-informed complainants make high-quality complaints that are effectively investigated. The Whistleblower Program has increased our efforts to educate employees uh, on matters appropriate for Whistleblower Program investigation. As part of these efforts, uh, we published two fraud bulletins since our last presentation that we hope will help educate employees on red flags associated with costly occupational uh, frauds. In this fiscal year, the two bulletins we've issued have been on split purchasing and mischaracterized expenses. We have examples of the bulletins here today that we can we can show you, and I believe we went over some examples the last time we presented as well.
0: What is split purchasing?
14: Split purchasing. I can uh, you read your bulletin. on it. Go ahead. <laughs> <was>, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can't I can't read <laughs> <see laughs> <see> that. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. It's the <coughs> There you go, Oh, Yep.
0: The visually impaired version. <laughs> so I, I have the, the slide Jennifer gave me. I can read it.
14: Split purchasing. Split purchasing. Just in summary, would be an effort for employees to get under the bid limits so that they can push purchasing. through are splitting it up into multiple parts and that helps them avoid review or competitive selection
0: yeah well avoiding competitive selection is bad sometimes the review never mind (laughs) (laughs) you know i've said too much already
1: (laughs) what's the threshold for
8: uh having to it varies right
0: (laughs) i know when i used to work at bart it was a chump change amount it was like ten thousand bucks you know it's like for lunch.
14: So one of the other initiatives that we've taken in this fiscal year is an effort to help ensure that I think as I mentioned in previous presentations, the whistleblower program, we don't investigate every complaint that we receive ourselves. In some uh, cases, we re- refer a complaint to a department for them to investigate. Um, you know, this is done to take advantage of the expertise of all the departments and individuals involved in the matter. It helps also leverage resources as we receive a lot of complaints per year, uh, and it helps ensure that allegations are resolved in a timely manner. To aid in this effort, the whistleblower program has produced a training video with guidelines for departments. The video helps ensure that investigations, when they are referred to a department level, are completed in an impartial, timely, and effective manner that protects the complainant. And we have uh, the video here today that we can show you as well.
9: That's... That's, is that okay? Do we want to see the video?
14: I've okay, well seen I
12: the know. video. <laughs> I Sorry. It's a great yeah. video. We should watch it. I gotta uh, go yeah. to work. <laughs>
14: and if not, we can we can forward you the link outside of the meeting too. And it's available and we've rolled it out to city departments.
16: This video introduces general guidelines for complaints referred to departments for investigation and helps ensure impartial and effective whistleblower program investigation. Impartial and effective investigations stop improper conduct to prevent further violations. Disclose all of the relevant facts so that management can make a fully informed decision as to how best to proceed. Promote a culture of transparency and compliance throughout the organization. Mitigate legal and financial risks for a department. And finally, mitigate potential for any undue allegation of management complicity. Staff assigned to departmental investigations must follow these guidelines. Who should perform the investigation? The employee performing the investigation must be at least two levels above the complaint subject. They must be objective in both fact and appearance, and they must be unbiased. The employee should not be the subject's immediate supervisor and must be properly trained in the administrative investigation. How should the investigation be carried out? Investigations must be performed in a confidential and discreet manner. Follow these guidelines to ensure confidentiality is maintained. Do not release whistleblower complaints to the complaint subject. Complaint subjects may provide a response during the investigation, but are not authorized by the whistleblower program to receive a copy of the allegations or complaint itself. If you require assistance or resources from other employees in your department, do not disclose that the investigation relates to a whistleblower complaint. Doing so heightens the risk of retaliation against individuals participating in the investigation. Do not distribute documents developed and obtained during the investigation outside of the whistleblower program. Ensure that they remain confidential. Remind any employees interviewed during the investigation that retaliation against any individual involved in the investigation is prohibited by law. Employees who allege retaliation should be directed to the Ethics Commission, which is responsible for investigating allegations of retaliation. Your response to the whistleblower program must contain certain information, including Evidence of independent review by an official separate from and at least two levels above the subject. Findings for each allegation and whether that allegation was substantiated or unsubstantiated. Any documentation that supports the investigation's results. Description of any corrective and or preventative action taken or proposed as a result of any substantiated allegation. Designation of a point of contact if additional information is required by the whistleblower program. Following the investigation, department personnel may be asked to explain the investigation process or information about the findings and conclusions to the whistleblower program. Please respond by the deadline given by the whistleblower program. If you cannot complete the investigation within the given time frame, contact the whistleblower investigator assigned to the case to explain why an extension is necessary. Brief extensions may be granted if justified by demonstrated efforts. Thank you for your collaboration. For questions, please contact your assigned whistleblower investigator or the general inbox at whistleblower at sfgov.org.
14: So in previous years, we'd issued written guidance to departments on how to conduct the investigations. This is our attempt at making that training more engaging and, again, on demand for our department liaisons. And lastly, our last initiative uh, in fiscal year 16-17 was to continue hosting fraud hotline webinars, Uh, so we focused on investigative excellence by collaborating with and disseminating hotline and investigation best practices to jurisdictions throughout North America by hosting fraud hotline webinars. We started hosting webinars in 2013. In fiscal year 2016-17, we've hosted fraud hotline webinars with Cali Forensics on computer forensics and e-discovery in fraud cases. The Arizona Auditor General, who spoke about fraud in the governmental sector. The United States Postal Service Office of Inspector General, who talked about conducting investigations and triaging complaints. And the Florida Department of Transportation, who talked about investigative planning and proof analysis. The Whistleblower Program webinars are well regarded by our peer jurisdictions. And during the last session, we had more than 70 attendees across 40 jurisdictions. All webinars are recorded uh, and posted online. Thank you.
0: We have a liaison report.
5: and, uh, and Jennifer. I'll go first. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, uh, thank you, Steve and Jonathan, for for your reports. Um, I'm one of two liaisons assigned to the whistleblower program um, in fiscal the um, current fiscal year 2016 uh, to 17. Um, uh, I've met with uh, both of these gentlemen four times. Um, I must say that every time at our meeting, um, they are very prepared um, with their presentation and are very um, helpful in in answering all my questions. Um, Based on my regular meetings with them and my review of the quarterly reports, um, I feel very satisfied that the process of the whistleblower program is sound and is solid and is efficiently um, run. This is beginning from the intake of the complaint um, and of tracking the complaint um, of the investigation process and of referral out to relevant departments with um, timely monthly follow-ups all the way to the, uh, to the conclusion um, closing out of the complaint. Um, In addition to um, carrying out the investigative work, I think that the current staff has also reached out proactively. As you have seen, one of their new products is this on-demand training um, video as well as conducting or or sponsoring these webinars, um, some of which I have attended myself. So I feel very... um, very satisfied and comfortable that our process is sound and it is uh, carried out by well-trained investigators. So um, that's my liaison report and Jennifer who is the other liaison, she might want to comment. Hey Jennifer. (laughs) Yeah,
12: I'll echo a lot of what Brenda said. Um, I've been really impressed by the professionalism and proactivity of Steve and Jonathan. Um, We've met together and separately with them a number of times. Um, In my case, I appreciate that often you are the ones to remind us that it's time to get together quarterly. Um, And I think your quarterly report is one of the clearest reports I've I've read on any subject. And I appreciate that you're so responsive to our feedback and how to keep improving it. I agree that it's my judgment that the program continues to execute its work um, very efficiently and effectively. Um, I am particularly glad that you all have had the opportunity to add a couple of members to your staff in the last year, especially with the surge in complaints, um, and was pleased to see that you've all gotten a a round of new certifications um, and are just generally keeping up your skills. Um, and I've learned a lot myself from your uh, regular bulletins. Um, so thank you for that service. Um, I'm, I'm interested in talking a bit more about the increase in complaints. I know we all, um, Brenda and I, and the two of you, have talked about the multiple causes for that increased number. Um, and I, it seems fundamentally that it's a sign that the program is working, that people are more aware of it than ever, that there are multiple means for people to submit their reports. Um, but I also wonder, I, I kind of recall we talked about maybe some of the high profile ballot measures last fall may have that involved the whistleblower program may have put it on more people's radar um, and maybe, I don't know if there's an increase in the city staff with the, the increase in city budget, that just means there's more more city work going on to be in, in people's view, um, and so yeah, I want to I want to just explore that um, in on the public record for our colleagues to comment on as well.
14: Yeah, as Jonathan mentioned, I, I don't know that it's possible to tie the receipt of complaints to one single factor. Uh, I think what we'd like to think is that it's a result of the outreach efforts, the production of the. Whistleblower orientation video that's been included in new employee orientation programs and rolled out to departments, uh, amongst other outreach efforts that we've conducted. Uh, with the discussion of the you know, public advocate last year, I believe uh, I think that also brought uh, mention of the whistleblower also up in some of the some of the uh, the articles that I'd seen on the public advocate and brought that to the attention of potential complainants as well. I know a couple people remarked on that when filing complaints with us. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think those are those are two valid explanations for it. I've got to say a lot of times with the complaints we receive, they're anonymous. So we don't have a way of asking the person, how did you find out about the program or who directed you here or what what led you to, to come to us to file? it? Yeah, I have a couple it.
12: of questions about that as well. Um, one, is there any way of knowing if you're hearing from the same person like a dozen times? and if that may be a a reason to attribute the the increased volume. And then I also wonder, given um, that I think there are 15 or so complaints that you weren't able to investigate because you didn't have sufficient information, and I imagine if if it's an anonymous complaint, you can't go back to the person and ask for more. Are there efforts being made in the the forum um, itself to encourage people to, like, I mean, I'm sure you're encouraging them on exactly what information you need to be able to move forward, but I don't know. Is there any, like, helping people understand that if they submit anonymously, it's less likely that you'll be able to come back and and conduct a thorough investigation?
14: With regard to the first question about multiple or same people filing multiple complaints, Mm -hmm. uh, again, when there's contact information associated with the complaints, it is possible for us to associate or get back to the person and explain to them maybe when one complaint is necessary or when it's necessary to file another complaint about a matter. Um, Because so many of the complaints are anonymous, it's not always possible to be proactive in that messaging to individuals. We try and capture that in our reports by noting the number of complaints that have been merged with previously investigated issues or issues that are already currently open and under investigation. When complaints are anonymous, we've had, I believe, we've had messaging in the past encouraging those anonymous complaints to remain engaged in the process to check the status of their complaint using their unique tracking number. Um, there's definitely questions that arise throughout investigations that we say it would be great if we had a complainant associated with this so we could follow up with them and uh, and, and get additional information from them and so that we can carry out an investigation into their concern. Um, and so, I think with some of the messaging efforts, that's that's how we've tried to how we've tried to encourage people to stay engaged in the process.
6: Okay.
4: Any other? I have one yeah. quick question. So, of of all the complaints made and there are allegations of wrongdoing, do you wind up with a finding of wrongdoing, uh, or is it referral to the appropriate department, departmental staff? Um, ultimately, when you don't you don't make you don't have a final finding on the on the merit of a allegation of wrongdoing. Correct. Uh, we do at the end oh. of an
14: investigation. We conclude whether the alleged behavior occurred, yeah. and whether it was in violation of any rule, regulation, policy, standard of conduct,
4: and of the total. Uh, complaints received during the report period, how many resulted in a finding by the whistleblower program of merit? Uh,
14: year to date, this fiscal yeah. year, it's looking like 35 percent of the complaints that we received resulted in a corrective action, meaning the behavior occurred and yeah. it was found to be in violation of something, okay. or a preventive action, meaning maybe it didn't occur, but the department proactively tried to address the issue,
4: Very good. 35 percent were found to warrant some action. Right. Very good. Yeah.
14: And so if you look in our most recently issued quarterly report, we have those statistics in uh, one of our exhibits, Exhibit 6. Thank you.
0: Other questions in the committee?
9: Yeah. I mean, it it looks like it's a very well run program. It sounds like it's a very well run program. Um, and I, I love the, the proactive nature of, of some of the work that you guys are doing. Um, I would just recommend that next time you come to us, to come with probably a little bit more substance around. Um, I, I would love to, as Jennifer was sort of was alluding to, I'd love to hear some trends. I mean, you guys are in a very, very unique situation um, with all these years of data, and um, you know, and, and lot, uh, touching lots and lots of departments. And so it would be great to sort of. Get some ideas of the things you've learned, the things that we can learn um, from this committee that might affect some of the um, uh, some of the performance audits that, that that we are contemplating and thinking about. Um, you guys have been here. Thank you for being here. It sounds, I think you guys have been here the whole time we've been talking, and so you get an idea of the, our purview. And so how, how can how can we take some of the information that you guys have learned and bring that back um, uh, in the work that we do in
13: this committee? Um, So we definitely will do that, and on that note that you made as it relates to trends, um, in our performance auditing, we also, because we have insight to that data as the director, we do use that data in terms of determining what type of audits we're going to do, where we're going to do those audits as well. So, to let you know, we are using those trends. Yeah, and, and I, I we think we'll bring them forward as well.
9: We, we should be able to talk about that. I know that we can't talk about very specific cases, and, yes. th- and that's what our Bay what Assembly our is doing, but um, we'd love to hear more about the substance of, of what's happening.
13: Certainly, we will do that.
1: Great. Uh, I have a question about how you share information with other departments that you mentioned that you do. Um, do you ever share with uh, federal or state agencies, for example, if you get complaints that may be related to a, a federal inspector general's office uh, or do they provide information to you? Is there a communication that takes place?
6: Yeah,
14: i got to say from experience, I d- don't believe we've ever heard from a federal OIG uh, related to an investigation that we're working on. Um Sometimes I think it's we can see roles where the state or federal government might be involved. It relates to like a grant that have come down to a city contractor. And when that occurs, we engage with the appropriate city departments to determine you know what the, the protocol for communication should be in, in those cases.
1: I, I recall that there are some city grants using federal money Correct. that went to uh, entities that alleged to be nonprofits, but in fact, were not nonprofits. Never actually filed as nonprofits, uh, and eventually the money had to be repaid back into the city from the entity that received the money. And that's just one example. Uh, I think that there are other things that go on, and I just wonder if there's so if defi- there's a, a benefit collaboration at some point.
13: So definitely, as we talked about in our program, where. We do refer cases to different jurisdictions where needed, um, and we work collaboratively with not only departments but outside of the city where necessary and where warranted. Thank you. All right.
0: Other questions, comments from the committee? Hearing none, I open the floor to public comment for an alternative point of view
8: good afternoon Uh, I'm Dr. Derek Kerr a whistleblower why is it that big-time scams like the pay-to-play scandal involving a human rights commissioner or the pay-to-work scheme involving janitors in the health department or the sewer replacement scheme that roiled the city attorney's office get exposed by the FBI rather than the whistleblower program Go should ask why the program tackles so many small time offenses and so little big time corruption. About 10% of whistleblower complaints are referred to city agencies with charter jurisdiction. That looks good on paper because the complaint is closed in a week, but whistleblowers wait for months or years on complaints that are buried by referral and some of those complaints expose big fish the whistleblower program should track the timelines and outcomes of these referred complaints the meaning of a substantiated complaint is getting blurred page 9 of the current quarterly report seems to define substantiated complaints as those that trigger departmental corrections. Then on page 14 of the report, we get a summary of, quote, substantiated complaints, unquote, where almost half are not substantiated. And it says so. So I'm worried that the program is using departmental policy changes as substitutes for substantiated complaints. What this does is to inflate the substantiation rate without having to conduct a thorough investigation. Lastly, mistrust may be increasing because the anonymous complaint rate has risen to 76%. I think that's the highest. The benchmark for anonymous complaints is 58% according to the NAVEX Global Index. Thank you.
0: All right, other comment on this? Hearing none, then we can move on to our section called Other Reports. Note that I don't think we have any staffers here to answer questions. If you have any, there is one from the General Hospital, for which I think I'm the sole liaison now. I haven't been for a site visit there to meet with staff in person for a few months, more than a few months, but I will try to get do that before our July meeting. Um, They are closing out according to the report here and they had an issue with some outstanding change orders which they are almost, they have almost completely resolved. I'll have more detail on that after I make the site visit and I'll provide it in the liaison report. Anything else from committee members about? These other documents or anything else. Oop. Okay,
2: we do have an item seven,
0: which is opportunity
2: for committee members to comment on any act or any matters within the committee's jurisdiction. Item A, the fiscal year 2017-18 meeting schedule to allow for possible SF Gov TV coverage um, based on. The feedback from you as of July 1st, the committee will meet on Mondays, 9 to noon, and the uh, meetings will be
10: televised. So the committee would want to take formal action to adopt that as their meeting schedule if that's what this committee so desires.
0: So we've got one coming up in June. When would the one in July then be?
2: We have a special meeting on June 14th that uh, at, okay. from 1.30 to 4.00 that focuses solely on the work plan for the coming fiscal year. But beginning July 1st, the, the schedule will change to allow for TV coverage. The June 14th meeting is not televised.
0: Oh, good. And I won't shave.
12: <laughs> exactly.
0: Right. Any other comments from the committee members before we adjourn? I
9: think we need to I, I oh. um, propose we oh.
0: make the these changes to the dates. Yes. Pardon me.
2: Okay. Just a reminder for, for the public who may not be aware. The dates would be and this will be published July 17th September 18th, November 20th, from 9.30 to noon again. The meeting. The dates for the last three meetings are pending, but they will be in this room. So, uh, Chair Larkin, do you want to take public comment before uh, you vote, or what would you like to do?
0: Public comment on our schedule? Yes, yes it is. All right, let's hear it. Well, hearing none, let's... Let's vote. Um, um,
9: let me, uh, the 20th is Thanksgiving week. I'm fine with that. I just wanted to to note that.
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Okay. Cool. Anyone else?
5: Do we have the dates for the rest of the fiscal year?
2: We do not have the dates for the other three meetings yet.
0: But we're, just to be clear, July 17th, September 20th, and November twentieth?
2: July seventeenth, September eighteenth, and November twentieth. These are all on Monday.
9: Okay. Morning. Morning. November, all right. I think we need a second. A second. A second.
0: All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? We lost Kevin.
12: I'm going to abstain since I won't be a part of future meetings, or well, unless you need my vote and then I can support well, your work Then, But do we have yeah. a quorum? Okay, then I support your, <laughs> us doing your schedule. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, I think we,
0: we need you for a quorum, Jennifer. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, when we have a quorum, well, you <laughs> voted appropriately in accordance with the rest of us. I think the measure is passed.
2: Yes, All and right. then one last piece of mis- business, uh, Chair Larkin, in regard to Commissioner Warburg.
0: Oh, Jennifer, we hate to lose you before your term is up. We would have hated to lose you (laughs) under any circumstances, but best wishes to you and thanks for your
12: service. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've learned so much from all of you and um, really appreciate the city staff in particular for all your hard work and um, service to the city. Thank you.
0: Well, good luck in your future endeavors, whether they be in Berlin or (laughs) elsewhere.
1: You've been a great liaison.
9: Feel free to come back and give public comment. All right, <laughs> so,
0: motion to adjourn.
9: So
6: moved.
0: All right, I think we're out of here. So
16: what?
2: Okay.
6: Go on your... your
0: oh. Go on.